You're listening to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, recorded October 28th, 2020, October AMA. I want to apologize for the reduced quality on Mo's voice as we had an issue that went unnoticed during the stream, but you still get questions and two reviews. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, episode 112, October AMA. Questions from the crowds, live from Hamilton, I'm Sean and with me, the Tabletop Bellhop himself, Mo T. I am the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, the RPG maitre d', answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. Let me put my years of game playing, event organizing, and game night hosting to use for you. I'd like to welcome everyone here in the lobby on Twitch. You can join us Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. Toronto, New York time at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. It is the last Wednesday in October, just getting really close up on the Halloween. Being the last Wednesday of the month means it's time for another live Q&A. So tonight, during our Ask the Bellhop segment, we will be answering questions from the lobby, our chat room here on Twitch, live. After that, we got a couple puzzle-solving games to review. Up first is going to be Chronicles of Crime 1400 from Lucky Duck Games, followed by The Shining, Escape from the Overlook Hotel from The Op. As usual, we'll be finishing off with our Bellhops Tabletop Weekend Review, and that I expect to be pretty short, due to not really getting in a lot of gaming this past week, and most of that being the games we're going to be talking about in the reviews anyway. For those of you here live, you can start getting your questions in the chat now, so that we have some ready to go when we get to our Ask the Bellhop segment. We love interacting with our listeners and viewers. Each week, we're going to highlight some of our interactions with you fine folk. We'll highlight some uh, feedback we received, comments on our content, maybe some gaming discussions we've been part of in the past week. We want to share what people are saying, both positive and negative. We appreciate your comments and suggestions, and if you'd like to let us know something about the show, send your feedback to mo at tabletopbellhop.com and or sean at tabletopbellhop.com. That's S-E-A-N. Uh, you can also hit us up on social media, where I can be found everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. And I can be found as Dark Elf LX. Well, we're going to start off tonight with a comment on our Robotech RPG Tactics unboxing video. Uh, and I we didn't get the name in there, so I'm not sure who this one's from. But oh, my they, bad. They say, I apologize for that. this style of model with lots of parts for just one miniature, that's very old school, where nothing else might have been possible. Looks like 80s or 90s. Is it known why they did this complicated? Besides of that, the miniatures do look good, if you manage to build them, that is. Well, thanks for the comment. It was cataclysmic something. I got the cataclysmic part. Uh, I was over on YouTube, so someone's uh, YouTube username. I do apologize for not getting your last name, cataclysmic. Uh, I was able to confirm my suspicions during the unboxing video that what Robotech, what, what Kevin Symbiata and his brilliance at Palladium decided to do was instead of hire a sculptor and create Robotech models or pay someone to do so, they would take original Bandai model kits, the, the, the scans, the, the plans for Bandai model kits, and shrink them down to miniature scale and then just produce those. It's insane. Like, this is a, a crazy way to create 28mm or 38mm miniatures. Like, just, I, I am so baffled by the thought process here that they thought this was the way to go. All right, well, next up, a couple of positive comments on a picture Mo shared of our Gloomhaven actual play setup. Part, uh, Parton Prince said, this is awesome. You guys have kept the space nice and clean. Love it. Doesn't feel like it's taking over the table. And Wandering Rogue 67 commented, 
It looks like from Ollivander's Wild Shop. Love the shelves. Wand Shop. Wand Shop, yeah. That's a Potter reference there. Thank you both for the comments. Uh, we've made a number of improvements to our setup in the last couple months, and I think it really does show in the video quality as well. That's just part of why I was snapping the pictures. I know we made it really jealous. Uh, Tori and Kat are like, we can't wait to play again. It looks so much better. They're going to come in, and they, they don't realize just how dark our basement has been for the last 10 years and how much brighter it can be. There is more to come, too, because we are hoping webcams start to become back in stock with everyone still uh, video conferencing, working from home, and homeschooling. It is really hard to get a good brand name webcam. There are some out there. They're just not a, a quality I'm willing to take a risk on. Yep. Well, next, some comments on our great talk of great two-player games that are currently in print. Chris Groff wrote, Shadespire is excellent. I was surprised Marvel Champions didn't get a call out. And Phil Hatfield commented, Star Wars X-Wing died with a resounding thud in this town when they went to second edition. I kept my ships and will only play with first edition rules. Well, thanks, Chris and Phil. Uh, first off, I'll go to Chris's comment. I was pleasantly surprised by Shadespire. I know Sean was as well. We weren't expecting something that good from a, a Games Workshop game, and I haven't had that much fun with a Games Workshop miniature-based game in a long time. Now, nothing against the big box Warhammer games. It's just those are way too expensive and way too time-consuming for me to get into. Since having kids, I haven't tried to collect an army at all, which is probably a good thing. And it was nice to have something so quick and accessible that was still a good game. Now, as for Marvel Champions, this did seem to be a really big hit, but it was like right at the end of last year, start of this year, and I never really got to try it before we all started going into quarantine. I have heard good things about the game, and what I'll do is I'll make sure I toss that into the show notes for anyone else who wants to check it out. Now, as for Phil's comment about X-Wing, I fully expected that to happen here. Like, that is what happened to me. I bought in pretty heavy into X-Wing First Edition. Um, I kept at it mainly, actually, to get free shipping on Amazon. Whenever I was, like, really close to the free shipping threshold, I would just buy another ship, and that's what would get me over, and that was my excuse to buy X-Wing ships. But I never played that much, because it just wasn't that big a deal here in Windsor. There weren't a lot of people playing. Then second edition hit, and all of a sudden everyone's playing. Where personally, I'm like, no, I'm packing up my stuff, because it was over $150 US for me to buy the three upgrade kits required to use all my models. Oh. And yes, I probably could have went, I'm just going to play Rebels, or I'm just going to play uh, the Empire or whatever, and only bought one kit. But I want to be able to use everything I own. So for me, I quit playing, but man, did it take off. Like, there is a local game store here that opened because of the local X-Wing community, where uh, Solon opened up Tabletop Renaissance basically to sell his X-Wing friends X-Wing chips. Like, like he basically was able to open a game store just based on the local X-Wing community. Now, they've since expanded, but X-Wing is still huge there. Interesting. Well, finally, we've got an important question about Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, <laughs> which came from our article that compared Jaws to the original Gloomhaven game. Daniel Wong asks, is the app also compatible with Jaws of the Lion? A great question, Danielle. Uh, assuming you're talking about the very popular Gloomhaven helper app from Spine, the one that we used to use for our live streams, then yes, that app does have all of the monsters and scenarios from Jaws of the Lion. Now, I do have to say I haven't personally tried it with Jaws. Um, I, I, I don't know how it uses, like, like there's monsters that overlap both games, how it would know which one you're using. Maybe it's based on which scenario you've chosen. Um, we talked about using it for our live streams, but you know what? Jaws is just that little bit simpler. Like, there tend to only ever be two monsters in play at a time, and there's a little less to track. There seems to be less status effects going on. Plus, it's only two of us with Deanna and I playing, so there's less things to track that way. 
Plus, we just got it set up so on YouTube you can have me and Deanna in the picture while we're playing, and it would we'd lose a chunk of valuable screen real estate if we did start having the app on the screen. Though I do kind of miss it sometimes, so I don't know. To, to be honest, if any fans out there who watch our Gloomhaven streams have an opinion and actually prefer our older videos where you could see the helpers so that you can see like what monster cards come up and stuff like that, we'd be willing to put it back on. We can find some other place to put our smiling faces. All right. Well, that's it for this week's comments. Thank you to everyone who shares, comments, and interacts with our content. A few quick announcements before we continue. As the fall colors change, remember we lose an hour of gaming on November 1st. It's true. Hey, and we won't be in the middle of extra life this year when it happens, so we won't have to game for 25 hours. But we always did anyway. Like, I always complain about, oh, it's going to be a 25-hour event. Meanwhile, we're up, like, 36 hours. Well, yeah, because it's 10 a.m. one day store. until, like, 6 p.m. the next day. Yeah, exactly. We always did way more than that. Though we, we did tend to get naps in there. All right, the Tabletop Bellhop newsletter. I mention it every week. I'm going to keep mentioning it every week because it is the best way to keep track of everything we put out. Once a week, I send out an email, and it recaps all the content we released the week previous. All of our unboxing videos, any of my master lists we updated, any news, any reviews, whatever we put out, it all goes in that newsletter and goes out to those who subscribe. You can sign up by going to Tabletop bellhop.com and subscribing right there in the sidebar or go over to newsletter.tabletopbellhop.com all right speaking of our gloomhaven live stream starting this friday assuming we actually play and there's nothing that gets in the way of that we are going to move back our start time by half an hour we're gonna start instead um at nine instead of eight thirty. Because as the kids get older, they're staying up later, and we're having a real hard time, honestly, getting ready by 8.30. Like, it's it's close every week. Last week, if anyone paid attention to the stream, I think I had the we're just getting set up thing going for about 10 minutes because I was still, like, getting out of the shower. So <laughs> we're just going to push that back to the same time as our podcast recording start time. And everything else will be staying the same. We'll still be at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop, and you can still help us decide what path to take when we get multiple options of which way to go. Now, I do apologize for changing things kind of midway through, but this works out much better for Deanna and I. Now, if we're ever able to game with Tori and Kat again, we're going to reevaluate this time change if we ever do switch back to playing the full Gloomhaven again, because I know 8.30 was better for them. But for now, 9 p.m. Eastern New York, Toronto time on Thursday, no, Friday nights, sorry, Friday nights. All right. All right, now that Hogwarts battle is being carried by Owl to somewhere, I think it was in Indiana, somewhere down south, we figured it was time for another giveaway. This time around, we want to reward those of you who follow at Tabletop Bellhop on Twitter, as well as give an incentive to those who don't follow us yet. In addition to that, we're also going to have ways for people to earn bonus entries by following us on social media, subscribing to our YouTube channel, checking out our Facebook page, etc. And if you already do all these things, which I'm sure you do, those are just like free bonus entries. So what are we giving away this time? All right, this time around, we're going to offer up my review copy of Animal Empires from Half Monster Games from way down under in Australia. This is a three to eight player. Yes, the box says two. Shh. It's a three to eight player empire building card game featuring some fantastic anthropomorphic artwork and one of the best boxes I've ever seen a card game come in. Like I'm tempted, I'll just send you the cards, I'll keep the box and put some other game in there. This contest will run for three weeks, ending on the 18th of November, just in time for it to show up in time for the holiday. Due to the cost of shipping, the contest will be open to residents of US and Canada only. 
Now, to enter, all you have to do is head over to tabletopbellhop.com and check out the pinned post. On that, you will find a raffle copter widget for the contest, and that is live now. Also, if anyone uh, notices any issues with the raffle copter uh, log yes. in, let us know right away. There have been issues in the past, and we're ha- but uh, we don't. If we don't find out about them, we can't fix them for you. So, let us know, and good luck. Well, we're here to answer your game, gaming, and game night questions. You can send your questions to questions at tabletopbellhop.com or head over to tabletopbellhop.com and click on Ask the Bellhop. Uh, Social media works too. We're everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Now, the best way is for questions to come through the website. That way they get logged and I get an email notification and I get a little thing on my WordPress that spins at the top and they don't get missed. I'm still not going to say no to a question asked anywhere else either. It is the last Wednesday of the month, which means it's time for another AMA. Tonight, we're going to be fielding questions from the lobby, our chat room here on Twitch. All right, one thing I'd like to start doing with these AMAs, just to try to um, make the shows a bit more focused so that we're not talking about 20 different things in one episode, and honestly, to make them easier to promote. So one of the things we do with each of these episodes, we convert them into a YouTube video, and it's really hard in a whatever 150-character YouTube title to talk about 18 different things we talked about in an AMA. So we're going to try to stick to a smaller handful of questions and spend a bit more time on each of them. Now, that might involve like looking some stuff up on Google or actually taking the time to look up stuff on BoardGameGeek. And I think that's going to be worth it so that we can actually deep dive the questions a little better and give you better quality content instead of just throwing out an answer to something quickly. Now, I'm not saying you can't ask anything. It is an AMA. I'm not saying we're going to throw stuff out. Maybe we'll fire off some quick questions that we won't SEO, right? But we're looking for, you know, three really good topics we can cover for tonight. All right. Well, since uh, we haven't got anything in the lobby yet, I'm going to start off with a question we got from Sean P. Kelly last week that we talked about bumping to this week for the AMA. So... We, uh, we've chatted about Kickstarter many a time on this show. We've even done full Kickstarter episodes. But what on Kickstarter right now has you excited? All right. So we talked about this during the coffee break. So the number one game for me that's being Kickstarted right now isn't even on Kickstarter as far as I'm concerned. It is on Hasbro Pulse, which is Hasbro's own internal crowdfunding, whatever the heck. I don't think it's actually crowdfunding at all, to be honest. I think it's Kickstarter's way to set up a pre-order system. Because uh, I'm pretty sure there's nothing that doesn't ever get funded there. Like, I think it's just their way of building up hype. And that is the new edition of a classic, which is Hero Quest, Which I don't know if people on the stream can see, but my copies are up there behind me. Um, just above my head there. Hero Quest was a game that, unlike many people who are like, oh, I played that growing up. Well, I, I, was, I was pretty grown up by the time I was playing Hero Quest. It was a game that actually I played with Deanna when we were dating. We actually played through the entire campaign together. So that's always had a special place in my heart due to that. Plus, I love the game. It was based on the Warhammer universe, and I was a big fan of the Warhammer universe. And it was such a simple system. And it was a game that was easily expanded. And it was one of the things that got me into dungeon mastering fantasy-style games is making my own hero quest scenarios so hero quest on hasbro pulse yes i realize i'm cheating because it's not on kickstarter but is is my number one now i guess saying that my kids have probably worked with deanna and there may be a copy of that coming at christmas well it won't be coming at christmas because it won't be funded but i'll probably get notification that something was funded there but that is probably the one and i don't know i gotta admit i debated it it is a lot of money 
when the project first launched, they were doing ridiculous things for Canadian shipping. They thankfully fixed that now. I think it's only 30 bucks for the whole thing now, but they were going to charge more than the game for shipping. And I don't know, like they are literally reprinting the game with a new set of artwork. And I got to admit, part of me wishes Restoration Games would have gotten the license. And what's weird is Restoration Games registered a trademark for Hero Quest, so I don't know if maybe something else was happening or where what happened there. Or maybe that's why Hasbro's rushing this out, is to assert their IP ownership. I don't know. But I kind of would have liked the modernization. But then there's enough nostalgia for the original, and I had fun with it, that it part of me is also like, nah, you know what? That's better than ruining it. I would rather have what I played before improved slightly than a brand new game I don't actually enjoy. So... I, I was on the fence for a while about buying it myself, and then I decided to sit back and like, you know what? This would make a great Christmas gift. This I'm hard to shop for. I know I'm hard to shop for. So if you guys want to do that, do that. That'd be cool. And if I don't get it, I'm not going to be that upset either. Yeah, no, that's absolutely valid. And I think everyone had hoped that that was going to come out on Kickstarter uh, through Restoration Games. Mm-hmm. Um, but licenses do what licenses do. Uh, I've got two active games backed on Kickstarter. Well, two and a half, three, uh, studies in sorcery caught my eye. Um, I know the marketing, the marketing hook of it pushed me a little bit. Uh, it's not a fancy game. It's not a big game, but it's a solid card based game. And again, I'm, I'm a sucker for card based games for sure. Uh, and then on top of that, I did fall into the trap and, uh, and did give them my money and I'm not going to be upset is, uh, the hoop gods and the second printing of rap gods. I did end up, uh, I was actually one of the ones who helped push them into their first day, uh, at the, at the, at the, you know, 11th hour and 59th minute, help push them over their, uh, their target, their target for that first day. Um, and they've already gotten a couple of stretch goals on that. So that's wow. great. Uh, All right, another one I'm tempted by, because I don't know if Sean specified gaming Kickstarters or not. not I don't know if he did, but just in case he no, did No, I think he just said what's on Kickstarter right now. Simon Stallenhog, the man who invented mm-hmm. Tales from the Loop, has The Labyrinth. This is his newest art book. And I didn't even realize it that he became famous because of Kickstarter. The original Tales from the Loop art book that spawned the TV series, the role-playing game, and four other books and like novels and comic books are coming and everything else was originally a Kickstarter. This artist was unknown before launching Tales from the Loop, the original, on Kickstarter. And he's doing his new one called The Labyrinth which definitely seems to, again, be progressing the storyline with older people. So that seems to be a progression. So Tales of the Loop was kids. Things from the Flood was, uh, like, teenagers, high school. Whereas every stuff for the uh, the Labyrinth looks uh, a little more aged. Right. And it looks fantastic. I, I This is one of those, if I had spare cash to spend on art books, this would be one I would buy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't have anything else really that I'm going for. I know actually uh, the giveaway we're doing from uh, uh, the folks at um, Half, Monster. Half Monster have just started a new one. I did take a look at it. It is interesting. It is a superhero-based card game. Um, and I, I I hovered my finger over the button for a long time. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's really cool. Um, honestly, I... I'm sad to say this. Uh, I'm picky enough now that the art was what drove me away. Um, it's it's an interesting game, but the mechanics alone aren't enough. If it had something better in the way of art on it, I probably would have div- uh, d- uh, dove on it. Um, but I could do those mechanics myself somewhere. Like it's not. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, it's very much um, uh, and uh, a, a game like the. Um, 
you're, you're making up a story with cards, basically. Okay. So you, you, you generate a superhero with superpowers and a, uh, a victim who needs saving, and you do a sort of okay. story based off of that. But it's really kind of simplistic art, and not, not in a great stylized simplicity, just kind of yep. simplistic and... I ended up not. Isn't this like, like trust me, I'm a superhero? Or yeah, something? that's like, the one. Yeah, trust me, I'm a yeah, superhero. Yeah, trust me, I'm a superhero. Yeah, which is actually a re-theme of an earlier game they made called Trust Me, I'm a Doctor. Yep. Though so this looks um, have less questionable content, we'll just say. Well, they do have two uh, expansions. There is a, an option you can get the the base game plus two expansions. One of okay. which is Silly Heroes, and the other one is Sexy Heroes. Yeah. See. So they have that option in there. I don't know. There, there was there was stuff with like experimenting on children. Oh, that's the not no, other one, and I was like, no, sorry, no, that's not okay. And plague doctor stuff, like like nasty things people did to each other back in the medieval times. No, that I yeah. don't think it should be part of levity, in my opinion. But to each their own. Yep. One I thought you might be interested in is Urban Shadows Second Edition. As far as RPGs, that just launched. It was either today or yesterday. Ooh. See, I've been off uh, Twitter for a couple of days. so Ah, no, this one just launched. It's a big deal. It's Magpie Games. Urban Shadows is considered one of the best, um, what do you call it, urban fantasy RPGs oh, out there. Oh, and they did well. Is... Oh, yeah. They're, wow. they're doing fantastically well. Interesting. I will definitely... This, this is the one exploding in my inbox. Right. Because I, I don't know if people realize this, but on Kickstarter, if you haven't used it before, you can follow people. And then you can see everything they back. And, well, you know what? Every few minutes, I actually get a notification saying someone's back Urban Shadows 2nd Edition. Right. Now, me, I'm, I'm on the fence. I I, am, uh, I like some Urban Fantasy and some I don't. So, yeah. it, it, it's... it's kind of... if, if, we, if it can recreate the novels of Charles DeLint, I want to play it. But this looks like it's going more for a Harry Dresden. It's not that I hate Dresden, but yeah. I prefer more of a, a Fae are real and, you know, giants exist, but people can't see them to gritty noir solving mysteries well they've uh they've unlocked just about everything they've only got yes. two more stretch goals to go um that's that is tempting and it's not a yeah. bad price for the uh for the deluxe no i uh, thought i thought it was very reasonable i thought you might be tempted by this yeah, one if you had if you had seen I'm definitely it gonna i'm definitely gonna take a look at that um i'll have to watch uh, again i'm i'm not a big fan of digital edition i love my I love my paper. books. I love yep. paper books. If I'm going to yep. run an RPG, even if I'm going to run an RPG online, I still want to have sat there and read the book uh, well, and held it. the book and, you know, gone outside and sat in the back patio with, with a book in my hands. Um, so, so that's, that's a big thing for me. I, I'm, I've got a few RPGs that I've got in digital format oh, yeah. and I look through them and I just, I don't get inspired the same way I do with a book. Now, that being said, I did back uh roll the digital yeah, online the system. Uh, and I haven't checked in lately. I, I do have an early access uh, to it. Um, okay. and actually, I should bring you into something just so we can both take a look at it and be aware of it. Um, it's still very basic, but they are rolling out more to it bit by bit. Uh, and it looks to be a solid uh, you know, contender up against places like Fantasy Grounds and Roll20. Mm -hmm. And it's aimed more at the storytelling uh, crowd as opposed right. to the D&D 5th Ed or uh, you know, yep, DCC yep. crowd. All right. Speaking of the sor the the storytelling crowd, I do have to bring up one that most of my Twitter is going nuts for, and that is thirsty sword lesbians yes. cross swords and fall in love with this tabletop RPG by K April Kit Walsh, celebrating queer love and power, powered by the apocalypse, sword fighting lesbians. Yep. That I gotta say, that's one I want to back just to support. 
I don't know if it'd be my game or something I'd ever want to play, but this just, to me, is something that I think is fantastic. It looks amazing. The artwork looks great. The layout looks fantastic. Everything about this game looks fantastic. I just don't know if it's the kind of story I want to play in, but I'm. this is one that, again, if I had the spare money just to support other people, I've been tempted to do that. I'm like, I'm going to set up a Patreon where people give me money just to support other people's Patreon so I can take the time to find who to support. Right. I'm like, here, I'll, I'll take good care of your money. I'll give it to the right people. And that's that's Thirsty Sword Lesbians is one I would definitely support in that case. And interestingly, uh, the digital, uh, or the, the cyber flirt on uh, Thirsty Lesbians, $30 gets you all the digital documents, including the Roll20 campaign module. So yep. for those all digital gamers, they've, they've thought about you in advance uh, and you are good to go right there, which is nice. And then just a couple quick honorable mentions. Um, one I am most curious about, but I wouldn't back myself, is Frostpunk. This is a very impressive looking board game, but I worry about its ability to deliver and... It's the first created by Glass Cannon Games. It's an overly produced. You can tell that the, someone saw Dark Tower was coming out because there's a tower in the middle of the board and there's 3D scenery. And this one, I, I'm going to wait. I want to wait for reviews and I want to wait and see if it's $20 on Amazon six months after it kickstarts or if this becomes the next, you know, um, Gloomhaven that gets a second printing through Kickstarter. It's not one I'm willing to take the chance on, but I got to say it looks pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's a lot of I mean, well, there's always a lot of games on board on, on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of seriously questionable games on Kickstarter oh, yeah. these days. Um, always. Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I shared something with Mo the other day. I got alerted to a accidental start of a Kickstarter project that <laughs> had uh, they'd accidentally hit their launch button before they planned to. And while the art on the cards actually looked really solid, uh, it was well yep. laid out, yep. the iconography was nice, everything else about the Kickstarter page sent up giant red flags. Um, it was, I mean, they were just... Like, just, it was a red flag. It, yeah. The whole thing should have just been a waving red flag. It was, it was kind of horrifying, and, and, and they couldn't have gotten my money because of the way the Kickstarter page was laid out. Now, we know they launched early, Maybe someone whose English was not their first language had set up the rough page and an editor was going to go in. I hope so. <laughs> but uh, as it was, when it when it did that pre-launch, it kind of scared me off them completely. Uh, Just jumping back to our lobby right now. So Jeff's a little salty about Urban Shadows, and I totally get it. Has the first edition, hasn't played it yet. That always sours me on a game that has happened to me a number of times. Even with board games, miniature games, I can't believe... Every time, if, if anyone out there wants a new edition of War Machine to come out, just let me know, because I'll decide to get into the game and go buy a unit, and then within a week, they'll go down to a new edition. I'll buy the core rulebook, it'll show up, I'll start reading it, and then I will see the news within a week, within seven days. It has happened twice so far, within a week of deciding, that's it. My friends are playing this game. I'm going to play this game. I'm going to buy it. You can see those. Those are over my shoulder, too. You can see a Menoth army box right back there. That was the last time when I bought that. That's when Prime Mark II went away and the newest edition came out. And I get it. I totally understand getting like, oh, why are you doing a new edition? Now, from what I understand from Urban Shadows, from, from the indie RPG scene, is that it was one of those It just barely made it the first time. Like, it, it kickstarted, it did pretty good, and it has fans. But now it has lots of fans. And now is their chance to turn it into what it should have been in the first place. And I kind of get it. Plus, it's indie support, indie developers. Any indie developer, 
don't have a regular infusion of cash, so I don't mind supporting them again. Like, um, for example, there's a new edition of Ironetta coming out. That'll be the third. But I think that's fantastic, and I'm more than willing to support Ironetta yet again. It seems like they're doing a lot of fixes to it and sound, things that sound awesome, and the second edition sounded better than the first edition. So Yeah, and, and to be fair, I mean, those are games, especially, you know, Ironetta, uh, as much as we support their work, they haven't sold a lot of copies. So, exactly. yes, while some people may be a little bit upset, the majority of us are just really happy to see it get into more hands so that mm-hmm. there are more people we can play it with. Yeah, exactly. Now, I don't know. Like, there might be something with Urban Shadows. We can get a hold of them and get an upgrade kit or something like that. I didn't dive into it. It was just a game that I know Sean's been kind of going nuts on the RPG Kickstarters lately. And I thought it was one that would catch his interest. Now, another one I want to give a shout-out to is Freedom 5. couple things this is doing. For one, it's based on the highly popular Sentinels of the Multiverse Universe, which I still want that RPG. This is a cooperative comic book board game. And what they have done, which I haven't seen on Kickstarter yet, is there are a couple different things. Custom meeples, but pre-painted miniatures. And I'm like, wow. So not only am I going to have, like, these things, the pictures I'm seeing of them look like Disney Infinity. Or or um, the Spyro stuff you can buy. And I'm like, wow, that is an option. Is to get it. I gotta admit, it's expensive. It's double the price of the, the original game. If you want the Sentinel Edition with the pre-painted figures, you're, you're going to pay for it. Or maybe that's even the limited edition. Where is the one that gives you the the pre-painted figures? But I'm like, that is really cool. The other thing that's really impressive is Arcane Wonders is putting this out. Now, everything Sentinel Comics in the past was like small little indie company. Oh, I'm drawing a blank on who used to produce it. It's not indie boards and cards. Now I'm drawing a blank on who used to produce Sentinel Comics. So I don't know what happened there, like with the license changing or anything else. But, like, they have heroic scale miniatures. They're 6.3 millimeters tall. Plus, I love the Sentinel Comics universe. The game looks interesting. It looks well done. No, it's not the next Marvel, right? It's not going to do as good as a Marvel game or a DC game, but there are fans of the series out there. Plus, I enjoy playing unlicensed superhero stuff now and then, too. So, again, this is an honorable mention. This is one I'm going to wait till it's out. It's a brand new system. We'll see how it does. Maybe it's something I'll pick up once it's, uh, once it's out on the market, but it's one I'm definitely going to be watching. Excellent. And then we're going to leave off with a light one that just looks neat because I like dexterity games way more than I probably should. For being what I'd normally call a heavy gamer, I just, I don't know, I have a thing for dexterity games, things I get to touch and feel. And that is Kabuto Sumo. This just looks fascinating. It's, you're putting these discs onto this like lily pad and you're trying to get ones to fall off. And it kind of reminds me of the, the ticket machine where you drop the coins in and it pushes other coins off. It's, it's kind of using that mechanism. Game's only 30 bucks. It just looks neat. Uh, the, the art style is really cool. I don't know something about this game. Like I see it and I'm like, I want that game. That just looks cool. I want to have this game. Yeah, they and they. I mean, they had a solid marketing push too. Like when that dropped, um, they there were waves of that game coming out, just <laughs> yes. just washing over Twitter. So uh, that was definitely a solid one. All right, that's it for me for Kickstarter. Yeah, I haven't got, I mean, I'm waiting on some stuff. I've got some stuff in the pipeline, but uh, I don't want to necessarily shout out that because, well, you guys can't get that because it's already closed and working on fulfillment and stuff like Worldwide Wrestling and Galaxy in Peril. Yeah, yeah, the latest edition of Worldwide Wrestling from Nathan D. Paoletta. I am looking forward to that. Uh, that game is so much fun. I, that is just such a good game. And then what's another one is um, 
I, I am still waiting for an Anachrony. Anachrony, I don't know if it's COVID hit it or what, but that is one of the most delayed Kickstarters I've had in recent memory. Like in the past, having a Kickstarter be three years late used to happen a little more often. Now I'm a little more discerning in when I back and people tend to get their stuff out late usually, but not that late. That one's taken its time. And to be honest, I want to look. What else am I backing? I don't well, think Garinto. I have anything else. <laughs> well, Garinto, yes. Yeah, Garinto's coming. You're aware of that one's not behind yet. That wasn't supposed to come out until next year. No, no, so. he's he's looking. He's they're they're sounding good in time. I know one of the problems that's really been happening. Um, I've got some of my technology ba- uh, projects that I'm backing uh, are running late on delivery because they can't get into the factories yeah. to look at the prototypes. Um, like they just. The, they can't look at their prototypes because they can't get into a factory in China. Um, even if they can get to China, they can't get into the factory yeah, to look at stuff. Um, so uh, there's stuff like that that's going on. And, I mean, prototype, you, you've got manufacturing issues with games, too. So if you if you might have been planning to fly over to China and inspect all your pieces before manufacturing, mm-hmm. now you've got to get it put on a slow boat, shipped over to North America where you can inspect it, tell them it's wrong, send it back. And then if it's wrong, yeah. <laughs> you know, not a fun uh, product, production cycle in that case. Yeah, so Anachrony was due out in March this year. So that that's, it's not a year behind yet, but I think it's going to hit there. Uh, Worldwide Wrestling, I am still waiting on. And that's it for stuff I back. Now, yes, there are, like, um, the new, um, oh, what's it called? I'm drawing a minute blank. Valeria game. Like that, I should be getting a production copy. There's some stuff that we did Kickstarter previews for that the publishers are supposed to be providing us with official copies once they come out, and then we'll do a review of the, the full production version. But I don't have, this is the problem with that, I don't have a way to track those. Right. And I was telling Deanna that what I should start doing, plus it shows some support, is backing all of those at a buck. Right. And then making a note, so at least I see the updates and stuff. Because like I honestly have no idea what's going on with Garinto. Like well, I know see, it's coming. See, see Garinto, I do know because I did that with. I backed yeah, you them, backed that. I backed them for, for some bucks. I wasn't going to get the game because it's not something that's going to get played here. Uh, but you are getting a copy, and I just wanted to give them support because I really yep. love the game. No, that's totally fair. That's such a good game. So how are we doing? We we killed a. We talked a ton about Kickstarter. See, that's what I want to do. I want to deep dive a topic like that. Does anyone in the chat room, we we got 11 people in there. Come on, someone must have a gaming question. Uh, did I need to narrow it down again? Because last week we narrowed it down, and I want I want questions about transitions. How about, I don't know. Well, we do have, transitions we, about the we do have questions that came in early on Discord today. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Plus, one of the people who asked the questions is actually in the chat room, so I don't think we have to repeat, have him ask again when we have a recording. I'm used to having Jeff's questions in my back pocket without Jeff actually being present, so... Well, I was actually going to go with Math Guy Dave's question from okay. earlier today. So what are the games that are at the top of your list to play once it's safe to play in public again? Now, what are, you know, we know you've got some, uh, some family gaming going on. You've got you know, four adults who can play uh, occasionally. But uh, you know, what are those bigger, names you, bigger games that you might want to get out there that you just can't do right now? Well, the biggest one, which isn't really a play in public, so I want to get back to playing Gloomhaven with Tori and Cat. That's not playing in public. That's playing in my basement. But that's the one I think we've missed the most. I We really enjoy hanging with Tori and Kat, meeting up early, going for dinner sometimes, meeting up on the weekend, uh, heading out to like the Sandwich Brew Pub, have a couple drinks and some um, some charcuterie, and then heading back here and playing some games. And then our weekly Gloomhaven games. Those are the big ones. Uh, the other, I don't know. Like, I, you know what? I just don't have anything off the top of my head. But I know if I look at our review games, there's like stuff we've reviewed that I know will be better with more players, that we kept talking about. Um, CO2, I want to play with more people. But I'm not, like, in a rush to play that. Right. Um, trying to think, what have we reviewed recently? 
I'm like, I know there's stuff. I'm just like drawing a blank right now. Well, I mean, some of it would be uh, RPGs, right? You, well, yes. We there's... don't. We aren't online RPGers, uh, so getting those RPGs played is is tough uh, when you don't have that digital group already yep. uh, set or easily set. But we did. We did do that one game. We did. Online. We, had, we have one well. game. Yep. It, and we probably should do it again. For some reason, I, I I find it easier to dedicate my time to a physical game. Right. Whereas when I'm like, yeah, I don't know, sometime we should play some games some online somewhere with some people. I don't know when. Uh, um, why, why, like I, I just I feel like I'm mental blind. This is bad for an AMA. I can't remember names of games. What else have we talked about recently? Like the, the escape room games are not. Those are actually better two player. Um, this is bad. I feel bad. I should, you know what? You even had this in the notes earlier, and I didn't read. I didn't cheat and read ahead of time and, like, prep any of this, which is, I think, obvious right now. Um, I, in general, it's just, you know what I miss? I miss playing a bunch of different games. Right. Like, it's it's not a specific game. What I miss is going to Easy Mode or CG Realm or a coffee shop or wherever or, uh, any local event may be and bringing a milk crate with six or seven different games and sitting down and, like judging the crowd and deciding when to what to play based on the crowd. And, and one of the big things I miss is having other people there who are excited to play something. So I would have came out, like, say we were going this weekend, I probably, trying to think, what would I want to show off that we played the most? I can't show off Scooby-Doo because it's just that's what I want to show off. It's like, here, I'll show you how Scooby-Doo works. We'll do a demo night and play through the first puzzle. Um, but, like, hey, Coimbra. So Coimbra, D and I played, and we're like, man, this is good. But I can tell it'll be better with more players. So I bring Coimbra to play, and I grab the Robotech Force of Arms just to play it with someone other than Deanna because I want to review it to play it with some different people and be like, hey, cool, Robotech game with cool art. Sit down and play that, but then bring a copy of Imhotep and Horrify because it's this time of year, right? Like, you got to bring If I was hosting any game event for the next this last month, I'd be bringing Horrified with me. And then a copy of Go Cuckoo in case Tech or Kevin shows up because he still hasn't had a chance to play Go Cuckoo. And then when we get there, have someone else show up and say, hey, did you bring Terraforming Mars and sit down and play that? Like, I just missed that five hours of dedicated gaming and switching what we play and getting in three or five games, depending on how long they are. And I think that's what I miss the most is that variety. It's like when we do our week in review now, it's like, yeah, I played the two games we were going to review because I needed to play them so we could review them. And that's kind of all we're doing right now. We're not getting in a lot of extra stuff. Nyctophobia. There's there we go. I want to play Nyctophobia in public with other people. Not that my extended family was bad, but that's when I want to show off. I want to play. And I want to play. I want to wear the dark oak glasses and do the spooky thing. That's an example of one of the ones. And Eclipse. Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy. I've got this massive box I spent way too much money on. That just we tried it two player and like yeah, and that's one and, and that's people. one I'd love to be down there and and yeah. you know get in on. So there, I knew they were there. I knew they were in my head somewhere. Eclipse is the biggest. Eclipse there. We're going to take back everything I said, unwind it, pull it all back in, and say no. Eclipse second dawn for the galaxy with a, I think it plays six. It plays six or eight players. I can't remember now. Whatever the max player count is, give us twelve hours to do it. it shouldn't take that long. It's not Twilight Imperium, but it might take us eight the first time. You know, have, have like, I don't know, the, unfortunately they're gone now. I was going to say, and have like the Windsor Sandwich Shop there so I can get a Coney Dog partway through and take a break. Yep. Yeah, no, Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxies up there. Um, the other 4X game that I have to review that I can't review because it's just not the kind of game that my mother-in-law is going to dive into, um, Burning Suns. 
right. which is something I have from Emil Larson that I interviewed back when he first kickstarted the game. That's another one. Um, I probably would have brought out Flick Wars, I think, is another one. That's a, that's a get. I want to play a six-player game of Flick Wars with lots of stuff going on the map, with lots of lots of scenery going on. Well, and on that big on the big three by three table, that's, yes. uh <laughs> I'm assuming you can lift that mat up. I think you can. Yeah, because that's a big thing for Flick Wars. It's stu- shoving stuff under the mat right. is what makes it so awesome. So yes, there, there, I found my actual answer. But even like Ratuki, like Ratuki's a party game. I want to be at easy mode with a, a pint of Walkerville Stout and, you know, with uh, Roger sitting there and, and some gamers we never met before who came in to play Mario Kart, but were like, oh, what's going on? And sit down and play something like that. And uh, Jeff's pointing out he wants to get it, get that unmatched with uh, people who don't live in his house. And yes, that's definitely, yeah, I want to try it. Absolutely. Uh, if I was, if I, I'd love to get down there and play uh, play a game with you because again, I've watched it played, but I've never actually uh, gotten a chance to. So, and, and that's the other aspect of it too is getting to play games I don't have. Right now, my game collection is, has gotten become just the pile of obligation, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I have some pile of shame stuff downstairs from before, but like, I haven't been acquiring new games or trying new games, right? So, I would love to get experience something new, right? So, for example, Marvel Crisis Protocol. I know people locally are playing that game. That's that's the new Fantasy Flight um, living card game based on the Marvel Universe. And people are going nuts for this. I don't really like living card games, so I'm not going to go buy that. But this might be the one for me. This might be my new magic, but I don't know that. So I need to see someone else playing it. Or the new Marvel Crisis Protocol, I think it is, the miniature game. There is a lot of games of that going on over at Solon's place, at Tabletop Renaissance. And I don't know who this local painter is, but he's got someone painting all his miniatures. Oh my God, do they look good. And I'm like not a huge Marvel fan, but I'm a huge superhero fan. Like, I I don't care. I guess I prefer Marvel to DC. But I'm like playing, like, I would love to see a good, superhero miniature game like because i haven't seen one yet i played a couple superhero miniature games and they were so so i would love to try that one and well maybe Solon could convince me to um upgrade my x-wing ships and play second edition too if that was going on so yeah eclipse eclipse is the big one that that is the one like i kickstarted i spent a lot of money on that and when anachrity comes up i'm gonna feel the same way like it hasn't shown up yet but that's gonna be another huge box kickstarter game that's good with lots of people right are you getting um Builders of Blanket World, Fields and Flocks. I, we re, we previewed it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I don't remember if there was an agreement there to get the finished copy when the game came out. I, I honestly do not remember what our agreement was. I'd have to look that up. I just people. realized I that was one because I had I had backed I had thrown a little bit of money at the failed one uh, and yeah. then I and then they restarted it and I didn't uh, I didn't. Yeah, to be honest, it. I I don't know if I caught when they restarted it. Oh. That's a neat game, Builders of Blanket. There's a hidden gem, Builders of Blankenberg. Fields of Flocks was okay. It was it was an interesting enough addition. Yep. All righty. Uh, All right. I think that that's two nice, good, solid ones. All right. So we got uh, a. Uh, uh, we're going to relate back to that first one a little bit with uh, okay, a question no from Pennywise. Uh, what did you think of GameFound? I the best thing about GameFound is that Kickstarter has a competitor. That to me is the most important thing GameFound has done. It's become a viable alternative to kickstarter which i think is strongly needed to just just for in the idea of of uh, what free market ship i don't know what whatever you want to call it free market economy like i i don't want kickstarter to have a monopoly and i am glad that more people are using it because i gotta say the other i can't even remember the other one there was another indiegogo right seems to have kind of like no one seems to be using that one anymore indiegogo seems to be the site you go to 
when Kickstarter bans your project or when you fail on Kickstarter so you try there. Or to scam people, because the thing on Indiegogo you can do is you can say, I take the money even if it doesn't fund. Right. Which to me just, I don't know, that seems... Nah, I would never back any project that says that. Unless it's like, you know, support this small kid to buy a trumpet for their band and learn how to play music or something. But as far as games are concerned, I like to me, that's a donation. You're not investing in anything at that point. Yeah, and, and from the just a, a quick look at Indiegogo's uh, front page, they are very technologically oriented. Not the Kickstarter now, isn't. Yeah, see, that's changed. Um, but but everything on uh, the, the, the front page and their, their what's cool and, and top lists seems to be techno-oriented. Okay. So I'm not even seeing... Uh, oh, there are some... Yeah, there is a... Okay, so tabletop games. What do they have for tabletop games? Um, there is... There, I mean, there is there are tabletop games there. But uh, not not yeah, escape room in a box, puzzles, some uh, some app driven uh, board games. Yeah, there's there's stuff yeah. there, but not there's stuff, not tons. Like some of the big ones, like like the the um, Hellboy role playing game and the Hellboy the board game were both funded through GameFound. GameFound to me looks legit. Like it looks like a good site. It's just games. It's way better to find interesting stuff like there's tags you can look at strategy games or deduction games or adventure games or just game components because people are crowdfunding components there are actual games getting funded from what i understand it's more it's less north american centric than kickstarter okay so it's better for other countries like you're seeing french versions of games getting put out i like i said to me i haven't used it i have no opinion on I, I haven't researched what it costs to launch a project on GameFound if they charge more or less than Kickstarter. I have to assume less because Kickstarter charges a fortune. But maybe they charge more because it's a focused market. Right. I don't I it just like I said, the biggest thing is it's a competitor. It's another source. It's not Kickstarter has all the eggs in their basket. And it's not owned by Hasbro, like uh Pulse, right? It's it's not owned by a huge conglomerate corporation that has millions of dollars and gets to decide which games are published and which aren't right it's still very independent and i appreciate that aspect so game founder says that they are a free pledge manager so i'm not sure what there's god what their monetization is but uh yeah there must be be something but uh those four board gamers i have to admit i had never heard of game found Oh, okay. That's actually this is tonight is the first I've ever seen there it. There you go. So uh, thank you for new. thank you for bringing that up, Pennywise, and uh, it's new something else to be on my list. I guess I've just never gotten caught up in a wave of, of advertising for that. Uh, yeah, that big games from them were Nemesis, which is a, an Aliens board game. Um, the other thing too is it does seem to be much more board game focused. Well, it's by whereas, by for by by board gamers for board gamers is how yeah board game like there are RPGs on it, but you definitely get more of the you're not going to find um, a thirsty sword lesbians on GameFound. It's just right. not the kind of thing. Now, what I also really like is itch.io for for if you want to talk indie RPGs. Well, I think yeah, itch.io is more important, bigger, and and the biggest thing since the Forge, and I think is going to surpass. Uh, well. The problem is it's still niche. Yep. Once people more people learn about it, I think it's going to blow up to be bigger than Kickstarter for indie RPGs. Yep. The thing is, Kickstarter still got the numbers, right? So what you do is you create your game on itch.io right now. So you do your ash can and all the steps to get it done, and then you kickstart it to get the marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Seems to be the best way to put out an indie RPG nowadays. Yeah. And the best thing is, it's something we've talked about many times on the show, is itch.io lets you fail first. 
It lets you fail forward. Yep. It lets you figure out that your game doesn't work before jumping to Kickstarter. Right. And there's also a real community there. So yes. there are discussion groups and things within the community to to have chats, uh, chats about things. So, again, it's an alternative to, in some ways, to Facebook, where you might not want to be getting into a Facebook group of designers who, yep. in many cases, may just be there to try and promote their own stuff. Or you're in one where they're enforcing so many rules to try and prevent this, that, and the other thing. Itch.io is a little bit more of a free creator space yes. uh, for that sort of thing. Which was very much designed for, again, like musicians, right? Like, it, it, and, and video games. Yep. It, it's video games, especially indie video games, but the RPG community there has just exploded in a way. Because it's also now becoming an alternative to things like um, Indie Press Revolution and Drive Through RPG because they take less money. Right. So, like, Drive Through, again, has the numbers, it has the people on it because everyone knows that's the place you go for PDFs and now print on demand. But it just doesn't charge as much. Yep. And I don't even know how. I, again, I haven't done it. I don't have any games there. I yet have yet to actually try to sell any of my games. So one of these days, just dive into it. But that's another one of those things that takes time. Yeah. No. It's 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 definitely something new. I mean, part of the problem is again these services are newer. Uh, and so while right now they are charging less and, and, and taking less for yes. what they give, uh, at some point monetization <sighs> issues generally mm -hmm. arise. And people need to pay the bills. So, and to we'll, be honest, it's one of those things where someone will probably buy itch.io. Yeah, more That's than likely, what'll probably happen. Uh, if we're, if we'll be lucky, might it buy. might be someone. Well, if we're if you're really lucky, it might be someone like Drive Through RPG who bought it and kept it as the indie and, wing of. Well, yeah. Drive to be RPG. honest, that's what happened because there used to be Drive Through RPG and there was RPG Now, right. and they were separate companies. And then one bookshelf. And I don't know if it was a merger or someone bought someone out. I don't know all the background there. That sounds like a, a bad 10-card chat to me. Is I'm sure there's a story behind it. But um, there was definitely two separate PDF companies out there, and they, they have amalgamated somehow. Uh -huh. Coco Pelli. Coco Pelli is the latest Stefan Feld, so I'm excited about it because it's a Stefan Feld. That's interesting. Um, I Google Coco Pelli, and I get either a fertility deity or a bowl. So, uh, <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure it's about the fertility deity. Probably. Uh, that was that's just recently announced. What I am actually really kind of excited about, and I really hope Travis at Queen Games comes through for us, is the City series that was kickstarted. I don't think that's still on Kickstarter because I didn't back it. But that is a series of four Stefan Feld games, which are rethemes and remashing of his original games being redone so it's a newer version of bruges coming out and so on based on different cities and i'm really looking forward to that those I, it, I, to be honest if i'm not able to get uh, uh review copies i'm looking forward to the queen games garage sale or yard sale that ends up on amazon eventually because i don't know what it is with queen games and their pricing on amazon but their games end up cheap eventually so but yeah, Steffenfeld, any new Steffenfeld games, I don't, I, I get excited about because it's a Steffenfeld game. Though I'm behind. I have not kept up with the latest Feld releases even close. I haven't, I haven't even seen Nova Luna except for a couple people playing it on a tabletop simulator during one of the online conventions. Right. All right. We got anything else crowdfunding? We might as well stick to the same topic if we have it. Um, not. I thought I saw something else. We have the city series. Okay, so Coco Pelli was there. I actually had the chat open for a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, not excited to sign up for one more service. I gotta agree that there is that aspect. There is. So, so Red Meeple Ryan in the chat is saying the problem. In, in a way, the problem with all these different services is having to sign up for all of them and having to keep track of them and and yet more services. I, you know what? It, that's the toss up, right? 
is, is you could have the monopoly that does it well and does it right and it's great or you can have the competition which drives the monopoly to hopefully be better and you got to kind of balance that right like I wish there was a competitor for Facebook out there because, man, I keep using that site. But it's the place you have to go because it's where the people are. And it's it's the only way to get some of your content seen nowadays because so many people use that site. So, you know, I while I don't necessarily want to sign up for MeWe and YouMe Social and WT Social, I do because I keep hoping that one of them will, you know, become the next G+, to be honest, which is like an actual competitor that hopefully the uh, host doesn't give up on. Before yeah, it gets I, big enough. I mean, honestly, I'd love Google to to be the next G plus, yeah, but I would, I would also that. be at the same time hesitant to dive into it. Well, now, yeah, because of the Google graveyard. Yeah. So, and Google's done that problem all the time. So I don't know. Like, I get it. I get not wanting to sign up for anything else. To be honest, I am gonna go wherever the coolest looking games are, right? Like, and, and the ones that I know. Like, if all of a sudden Queen Games and Stefan Feld starts using GameFound. I'll probably start buying games on GameFound. I'm, I'm going to chase the stuff more than I'm going to care about the platform. Now, I'm not going to try some brand new site that no one's ever used before. Yeah. But now now these sites are all established, right? Indiegogo, GameFound. Although you other... jumped on MeWe, so I think that was pretty close to... <laughs> on MeWe, still, that, of all of the Facebook alternatives, that is the one we get the most interaction on. That That is where we get a lot of our comments. Um, all of the Chris Groff comments, all of the Phil Hatfield comments, all of... Um, there's. Four or five, Keith Davies, there's about s- names that come up often on our show right. where people interact with this actually happens on me. So we're actually what happens solid is, engagement there. Yeah, yeah, we get solid engagement there. That's where a lot of the gamers from G Plus went. The problem is they, when they first launched, had some, they were a little too willing to allow things on their site that people didn't want them to allow on their site. They were they were trying to be an open impartial. and impartial community. But when you do that in the current state of the world, you get groups that just shouldn't exist period online or otherwise yeah without diving too much into the political yes they were fence sitters and some people were not willing to go onto a site and support a site that were fence sitters yep. and to be honest i don't know if they still feel that way i haven't kept track i i don't know if that's still a problem we've got our little group we do our little thing and it's not that little it's it's a significant group there's there's one group that's thirty-eight thousand gamers in it so like right. it's not tiny but it's not facebook yeah yeah yeah, you don't have four billion people to 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 you know pick from. No, I do. I me we me we is the best G plus alternative out there as long as you are okay with their hands off politics. Right, I think is probably the best way to word it. All right, uh, all right. Uh, how long are we going? I haven't been watching the time. As I, I haven't been have. as close. We're about an hour, you know, a little under an hour from the start of show from the start so we could probably do one more probably do another uh, another question I, I think we'll do one more what we should do is we should cover jeff's um correction from our last ama absolutely here we go so uh jeff was watching the ama and we got to got to his last ama from uh, september and he got to yep. his question about content uh, about games versus people creating games now the original question was why do you think more people seem to find success making content about games than finding success making games, publishing games, or running game stores? But right. where we we kind of went off on a whole Yeah, we I don't think they are. We picked the direction. <laughs> was our took. Yeah, we picked yeah, the direction we, we, ran we, off. So uh what what Jeff can see are people making game content on YouTube as a business. 
Uh, he gets the impression that Tom Vassell, Rotto, the shut up and sit down people, Mike Mercer, Will Wheaton with Tabletop, and stuff like that are far more financially successful than most game designers or small publishers. People, not companies. Uh, the guy behind designing Pandemic makes a modest full-time living, but his is one of the most successful games on the market besides Catan. Most designers barely make enough to order a pizza a month on royalties is the impression that Jeff gets. And I got to say, he's got to be right again. I don't know actual numbers, but they said the one I always saw, we mentioned Steppenfeld like 10 times tonight. So we're going to stick with Steppenfeld. Steppenfeld has a day job. That, that right there tells you almost everything you need to know about getting rich in the board game industry. It doesn't happen, right? Like, and, and again, I don't know, know how well Matt Leacock, who designed Pandemic, does. There are game designers out there who have made it, like right? your Friedman Fries, your Rainer Nitzias. They are out there. They do exist. But he's right in a way. But I, the thing is, it's it's a it's a one percent issue in a way. It's it's there aren't like Jeff almost mentioned them all with Tom Vassell, Rado, shut up and sit down, like that. Those are the big producers. I know some of the other people who produce content on YouTube, and they don't. Like, they're not that big. There's, um, well, Chaz Marler would be another one that should and be even, up there. I mean, let's talk about Rado, even. You know, Rado yeah. got his start by using, and we're going to loop this back to the earlier topic, Kickstarter. You know, yeah. he went on Kickstarter and said, look, I want to go and I want to go to Spiel. Oh, I want to buy these games. I want to make this a thing and, and quit my day job. So here are some funding things. And, you know, if you fund me at this much, you get to be on the show with me. And if you fund me at this much, I will test your prototype games. Mm -hmm. um, he had gone from a, you know, very much a, a hobbyist who was doing this, every, mm -hmm. you know, every once in a while for fun to making it a full-time job and got people to back like $18,000 for him in order to, to fund his career but i mean that's still you know that's still not really a lot of money when you look at a, a you know a year's salary or multiple years salary. well that, that would supplement his youtube income right and any other income yet. well and at the time i don't think he was making any, any youtube or any or very little youtube income um back oh, yeah. in 2014 or 13 or whenever it was that uh that kickstarter happened mm -hmm. and that that is actually a fair point because almost i don't know about rado or sorry, I don't know about shut up and sit down, but Tom Vassell is funded through a Kickstarter. Yeah, Tom Vassell runs a Kickstarter, and that's what lets Tom do what he's doing. Now, he already did it for years, and the biggest thing that changes now he has employees. So he was able to give his friends, basically so a couple of his friends, full-time jobs through the Kickstarter. But he was also able to dedicate enough stuff. So they literally were making videos, like unboxing videos that are getting 10,000 views and not making enough to get by. So I think there is a misconception in general by most people on how much YouTube pays you. Yeah. The, it really does not pay a lot. Like, we're nowhere near Tom Vassell's level or anything like that. And, like, yes, you'll see the people sharing the fact they make $1,000 a day on YouTube, but those are mainly the people who make videos about how to make $1,000 a day on YouTube. And, like, seriously, that's what works. It's, it's the same people who sell PDFs on how to create PDFs, right? Like, it's it, it, it's... Ridiculous! It drives me nuts. But those are the things that get views, or the views on um, uh, things that aren't cake, right? Like uh, we watched a video about that, where this Chinese production company produces a YouTube video every day and has won all these gold buttons. And all they do is they repeat the same twelve videos into different videos, and they know how to SEO it well. Right. 
And now Jeff's pointing out, you know, he's not thinking they're getting rich, but are getting full-time jobs. And again, I think what we're trying to point out here is though, it's not really a full-time job unless you get bring in income from elsewhere, unless you fight to do the right. Kickstarters for yourself, right? Whereas a publisher can do a Kickstarter for their next game. Uh, you know, Tom's doing Kickstarters for him, his company, for his business. For him, yes, um, for the Dice Tower. The, 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 the income from the content creation uh, isn't generally making it um, the people who may be making a full-time job uh, are in oftentimes maybe doing questionable things. Uh, the paid reviews, the, uh, you know, paid previews, the, and, and other, and other things, uh, you know, not properly declaring whether or not you're, <laughs> whether or not you've been paid to do yeah. things. Um, there are, there are certain issues about that and, and FTC uh, declarations and things that are going on. Uh, you know, people are hiding income and, and things like that. So it, it becomes a little more tricky. I would say, no, nobody is really making a full-time job out of this uh, with, uh, you know, just out of the content creation without going over and above and selling some sort of services. There are the rare few, but they're selling services. So an example of this is Lance Mixter, the Undead Viking. Lance Mixter, the Undead Viking, now works for game companies. So he now has a full-time job, but he has it in the game industry. Before that, he did videos, and where he got famous was he was one of the first people to do um, Kickstarter previews, where he would show off the game before it was produced, and I happen to know what he charged for those. And if he's putting out enough videos in a week, you can, you can live off that. He was living off that. Other content creator that manages to pull it off is Dyson Logos. Dyson Logos manages to not have to have a day job through Patreon by drawing maps. But Dyson Logos is one of the best map drawers on the damn planet. There, we just got our rating. I said, damn. <laughs> uh, our best map drawers on the planet. And now he's being hired by Wizards of the Coast to do maps because finally other people have recognized his style. But it took him forever to get there. So it happens. There are the ones that have done it. But like the example of the fact that Tom Vassell needs to run a, a Kickstarter to be able to fund it. The Secret Girl Gaming Podcast about five years ago now did the same thing. So it was um, Jamie, the, the head of the Secret Cabal, was doing the podcast as a hobby. And then a lot of people kept asking for more. Like, we love your content. We want more. We want more. And YouTube was starting to pick up and Twitch was becoming a thing. And like, we want more content for you. He's like, well, the only way I can do more content is to quit my job. And this doesn't pay enough to quit my job. And people encouraged him to run a Kickstarter. And it blew up the first year. Like, I actually think he made more the first year than a couple of years later because it was the first time doing it. But that was what let him take it to that next level. Now, I would almost suggest game designers do this. But then Martin Walls tried. Martin Wallace went and made his own company called Tree Frog Games that was only going to produce Martin Wallace games and he was going to Kickstarter them all. And it failed. So, I don't know. I, I just think there's less out there. Now, the exception also is, you mentioned Mike Mercer and Will Wheaton. The thing is, they're celebrities. They were celebrities before right. they started gaming online. They were already, I wouldn't say rich, but they were doing well enough and more importantly, had a following already. They had a group of invested people who were willing to give them money to produce more content and, and i mean the fact of the matter is if you are will wheaton then if you make a youtube channel you are going to start with say a hundred thousand followers yes. which is something that most people take years and years and years to build up to and with a hundred thousand followers you're actually starting to see an income um you know you know the guys who are making actual money on youtube on on youtube and just on youtube content started about a million followers uh, to make to make a really solid income um, and, and the guys who are doing that are, you know, like the YouTube guys, 
if you look at a Hermitcraft player, which is again, my, you know, my, I've talked about them many times, my, my, my favorite Minecraft uh, content creators, these guys are putting out two, three videos a week, not including stream content. Those videos are, are made by playing, the, playing Minecraft professionally six to 12 hours a day and editing that content into video and deleting all of the, the grindy stuff that nobody wants to watch on YouTube and, you know, filming things with other, other content creators on the server in order to get a, you know, 20 minute, 40 minute video twice a week to keep their million followers happy. Uh, and then they have to stream on top of that and they have to tweet on top of that and, and, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, pick how there aren't too many games that you're probably willing to pay, play 50 to 60 hours a week. Huh. There's none. I'm and that's, and that's what they do. I mean, the, the guys who are the guys, like the gaming people who are doing this professionally are playing those games, a minimum of 50 to 60 hours a week. Some of them more. That's the other thing too, that there's a lot of work that goes behind this, even like our, small show compared to like to produce those Tom Vassal videos and those Dice Tower videos and the amount yeah. of work that goes into it. I mean, you get it, it I, when you break it down into yeah. like, I, I, I do it. I do the, you know, minimum wage in Canada is 15 bucks an hour. And I, I work out well, D and I are not making $15 an hour doing this. And trust me, our money's not coming for YouTube. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it, it's, there's, it, there's, there's also, I mean, there's other costs, especially, you know, ver, uh, when you look at a game, you know, a game creator for content, they've got to buy their PC They've got the cop, their one copy of the game or two copies of the game that they need. Uh, and then they're good for a year or two until they need they you know, something else. Whereas, you know, to get this running, we're, look, we're constantly looking at upgrading microphones, cameras, lighting setups, sets, uh, new PCs to increase this stream, new bandwidths to do this. You know, there are a lot of costs. And as you increase, you know, if we move all of our cameras up to 1080p, soon enough, we're going to be having people ask, wonder, you know, expecting better because everyone else has moved Where's up to 4k, 4K? or 12k or whatever else you know there are always ways that we can keep upgrading our video content because it's not video content of game right it's not just the game shots it's mm -hmm. it's us and and the product so the other i don't know to be honest i think it's actually more similar too so looking at the both sides of it right so you look at the tom vassals and you compare those to the the martin wallace's and I think the thing is, it's the it's way more work than you think, and you have to be constantly putting out content. And that's how game designers are the same thing. Like, you put out one game, and even if it blows up, you're not getting much off that one game. You put out two games, you're getting a little more. You put out 20 games, assuming some of them become evergreen, right? That's why I'm saying, like, a Martin Wallace or a yeah. Stephen Feld, where people are still playing the first game they ever published because it was that good, has that. So that that is, is a thing. Whereas, same thing with the content creator. you got to be constantly putting out videos. Now, jumping to YouTube making money, Sean and I and Deanna have been watching videos that on how to get more views, how to get more subscribers, right? What can we do to get it better? And you watch these, and it blows my mind because people are like, well, if my video doesn't get 10,000 views in the first hour, that's a failure. And I delete the video. That was obviously a bad one. 10,000, we don't have. All our videos combined, like, yeah, we weren't been around two years, but, like, I have a feeling even if I look at Tom Vassell's, he doesn't have a lot of videos that have 10,000 views, even ones that have been up for a long time. Like, it just, it doesn't happen. We don't have any video. If you add up all our videos together, yes, because we have one extremely well-performing video, we can get to 10,000 views total <laughs> over all our videos. Yeah. But I mean, that's definitely a, a thing, right? Like, yep. like well, this and, guy and thinks Instagram, like successful, right? 10,000 views in the first hour. And that is all based in this video was all because of his thumbnail. 
Yep. That's all that changed. It was a picture. It's why did this video work and this one not? And it had to do with this thumbnail. Yep. That was it. Instagram Instagram has the same sort of thing. You know, the, the, the big money people on Instagram who are getting the, the sponsorships and whatnot. Uh, you know, if they're, if that gram doesn't pr produce in that, in the first hour, yeah. it's going away because yeah, it's not it, content that, that's working. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a thing. I, Jeff may be right overall. I, there may be more successful content creators than designers. I don't know. I, like, again, we're, we're, we, I know some of the numbers for some of the people behind the scene. I happen to be in some Facebook groups where things like pricing and money gets discussed. I will say the average cost to do a Kickstarter preview video is $300 US. But that is a video not like we produce. That is a, a video where they spend two weeks filming stuff and B-rolls and sound effects and special yeah. effects and cards lighting up. Not, and, not like, something well, you grow up on, you, on, on, on Twitch, a, right. a video produced for YouTube. Right. So you are looking at getting paid $300 to create an ad. And I got to say... Hey, publishers, what a flipping deal compared to going to an advertising company. Oh, I mean, right? absolutely. I, I don't like, think... Like 300 bucks is nothing when you're if, thinking if advertising. I, if, if Mo and I were living in the same city, there's a, a possibility we would be doing this sort of stuff yeah. because of my production background and, and Mo's uh, knowledge of the of that industry. But the problem is, I don't know how I could do videos for $300. You know, I, you know two weeks of your life for 300 bucks. That's... Well, that's you got to be doing all the yeah. other stuff at the same time. It, it's <laughs> exactly. a constant hustle, to be honest, to, yeah. to keep it going. It, it's it's a constant hustle. It's it's sad, but that's where it is. And now part of this is people undervaluing the end product. But that is a totally different topic. Maybe we'll save for another AMA because at this point, it, we hit 1030. And if nothing else, I need to take a quick break. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for this Do month's. Well, sorry. Do we have anything in the chat we want to summarize? I saw a whole bunch showing up while we were talking about that. And Jeff, is that close to your question? That's the main thing I'd like to know because we were trying to correct our, our conversation. I think part of that went where we went last time too. But um, yeah, well, I, 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 he may be right. Yeah, and Ryan's talking, you know, there's a lot of uh, whether or not you'll make your fortune designing games, lots of prototyping conventions pre-pandemic that are well attended oh, yeah. by those who are wanting. And that's part of the problem is, I mean, well, there's a million people who want to make content who want to produce stuff and uh you know well, uh, on both sides that the game designers and the content creators uh, like on youtube there's yeah. a million of us on both sides more than a million <laughs> like that, that's just it Con like we've talked about it before right and i this year is lower like for one for the pandemic and two there wasn't a bubble that burst but there's a there has been the effect that companies can no longer produce 10 games in a year uh stephen bonacore who's now retired but who, when he worked for stronghold games has talked about his diminishing returns on games because the market is flooded at that point it's literally at that point there is no way there was a point in time when i got into this hobby where i could theoretically play every game that was released near every hobby board game every designer game everything by mayfair rio grande games Edgar spiel all the big companies i could play them all in a year i may not want to but i could it could physically be done that is impossible nowadays it is it's three thousand games there aren't enough hours in the year to try every game that comes out and then you have all these fish trying to get a piece of the pie right like fish getting a piece of the pie where am i no those, my some, uh, either those fish are interesting or that pie is uh <laughs> damn a piece uh. of the pie I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean, though, right? Like, it's just there's so many people trying to design games because... Yeah. The amount and, of money and, for games is not changed, but the the number of people trying to take a bite out of that market 
yeah. is uh, like, on it's the number of people. And, and it's the same thing with the content creator market, right? Like we got into podcasting late. We got into streaming fairly early, but like even since we've gotten to streaming, when you used to go to Twitch, I should try to test this right now. If I go to the board game category, I bet you there's more than three people streaming under board gaming. Oh. When we first started podcasting two years ago, you would go to board ga- gaming and you would see four streams, one of them us. Yep. And literally, that's it. That's all the people talking about board gaming right now. I don't want to screw up Twitch by opening it, but I'm wondering how many are on right now. Usually about 12 to 16. I mean, yeah. under the board like, game Like that's just in two years, right? And that happens to be like Wednesday night, late at night, Eastern time, right? Like I'm sure if you go to prime time, it'd be even worse. Yes, the orc and the pie. Thank you, Jamie. But yeah, in general, I, there, the, a lot of the... A lot of the content creators people think are doing extremely well are, are supporting the, it some other way, us included. I, we've said it many times. I'm not trying to hide the fact. Deanna and I, we make our money through affiliate links. We advertise products for gaming companies and mass big mass market online retailers, and we get a small kickback for every game people buy. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be here right now. There are... I, I, I'd be just getting off work and showing up and stressed out and having more gray hair and be like, I don't know. I didn't get a chance to do the notes tonight. So there, there are 300 about. people watching uh, 18 different board, including us, 18 different board game feeds. tonight. Wow, on. 300 is a we have a significant piece of that pie. Yeah. Like 300 people is not a lot. Nope. So there we that's go. it. Right. Like, like, like Ryan's frustrated by it. I know he has been because so many people doing shows at this time every week. Spread it out. The problem is if we were on Tuesday, you'd be saying the same thing because there'd be other people doing it. I mean, we moved from Thursday because there were too well, many. Well, I mean, critters. Role. Uh, the, the critters yeah. were, would, would never watch us on, on Thursdays. So, nope. um, you know. And we, we have a Wednesday. couple that watch us yep. sometimes. Uh, we have been asked to move to Tuesday a couple times now. But I just have a feeling if we move to Tuesday, there'd be people saying, why can't you be on Wednesday? Yeah, it's... it's right? I, like, I honestly don't think we can win on that one. Yeah. Which is why you can watch this on YouTube at youtube.com slash tabletop Absolutely. Well, All right. At this thing point, I think we've wrapped up everything we got for the AMA. That was a good one. I liked it. We didn't get a lot of live questions, but we had backup questions from people in the chat. Yep. And I love the interaction we got once we started talking. Absolutely. So that's it for this month's AMA. Thank you to everyone who submitted a question. For those those of you who missed any discussion, you can watch this segment at any time on YouTube. For those of you that uh, were here live, it will be going live. For those of you here live, that will be going live on Sunday. Uh, No, actually, Saturday is when these go up. Saturday is when when the the asks go up. And that's Uh, a time get confused. For the rest of you listening on the podcast, this will already be up on YouTube. Uh, and, and we, we have stored and we have stored questions from this episode and other episodes that we didn't get to that may get answered on future AMAs. Yes, if no one shows up next week, we'll be all good. No, it's definitely cooler if people are here when we get to interact with you. And I'm glad we were able to clear up things for Jeff. Finally, if you've got a gaming or game night question for us, especially a nice big meaty topic we can dig into on a full podcast episode, head over to the website and click on Ask the Bellhop or just email me directly, questions at tabletopbellhop.com. We're about to take an early look at Chronicles of Crime 1400, the first game in the new Millennium series of app-driven murder mystery uh, mystery investigation games. Before we continue, we do need to take a moment to thank Lucky Duck Games for sending us an early review copy of Chronicles of Crime 1400. All right, Chronicles of Crime 1400 was designed by David Kersiel, Wojciech Grykowski, and it features some amazingly evocative artwork from Barbara Gobieska, Mateusz Komada, 
Katrina Kosabuka, and Mateusz Michalski. I apologize if I got any of those wrong. I tried. This is the first game in the new Millennium series of games that are standalone games set in different time periods using the system that was first introduced in Chronicles of Crime. This series was funded and kickstarted the Millennium series in March just this year, 2020, where it funded on day one. Retail version will be published by Lucky Duck James and should be out by the end of the year. This is a standalone Coded Chronicles game that plays one to four players, though I could say one or more, to be honest. The more brains, the better in a way, with each investigation taking under two hours approximately. Now, the base game box includes five crimes to be solved, one of which is a shorter tutorial investigation. Now, each scenario is only meant to be played once. These are mysteries. These are generally murder mysteries, but there are some other, other, other crimes to be solved. And once you solve the crime, you know the solution. But unlike many of the other puzzle games we've reviewed here at Tabletop Bellhop, such as the Exit series of games, nothing is destroyed while playing, so your game remains playable after the fact, so you can then pass it on to someone else, sell it on the secondary market, or return to it once you've completely forgotten what happened in that first case. Well, for a look at what you get in the box, watch for our unboxing video, which will be live on YouTube November 2nd. Or for a complete listing, check out the full rev written review on the blog. Now, to keep things brief, I will just summarize here, because I don't want to get into all the details, all the components. Most of what you get here are cards. Cards of various sizes, from big to small, and a board, central board, to put most of those cards on. There's location cards, people cards, and item cards. All of this is stored in one of the nicest plastic box inserts that even comes with a lid, which means this card-based game you can actually store vertically on your shelves without having to worry about anything falling out or getting misplaced. Fans of uh, protecting their games with sleeves will be happy to note the insert appears to be, I didn't test it, designed to fit sleeve versions of the card because all the spots are a little larger than the cards that are in them. More and more manufacturers are stepping up with the inserts, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Now, the first thing you need to do to play any of the Coded Chronicle games, including this one, is you need to get the Coded Chronicles app. Once you have the app, which is 100% free, you're going to pick the Chronicles of Crime 1400 entry and then slick select one of the crimes you wish to solve. When this game is released, there will be five crimes available, one including a tutorial and four full investigations, and it is expected, at least based on what Lucky Duck's done with the other Chronicles Crime games, that there will be further crimes released through the app as downloadable content. So despite the contents of the box, this is very much a digital game requiring a mobile device and an app, as well as content updates and, and content provided by the publisher ongoing. Just one correction, you don't actually need a mobile device. You can actually get it on Windows and um, Apple as well. You can just play it on a PC. Uh, but it requires camera, correct? Uh, yeah, it must in some way. Right, so... I, I know you can get it for Windows and Apple. <laughs> I obviously didn't try it, but yeah, it would require some form of camera somehow. Right. Yeah, you do have to be able to, to scan QR codes. So in Chronicles Crime 1400, you are playing Abelard Laval, a knight sworn to King Charles VI, the beloved, who lives in the city of Paris, or Paris, however you want to go. Since you were a child, you've had prophetic dreams in which you see scenes of crimes being committed, or even ones yet to be committed. You learned to use the skill to solve cases no one else could, and quickly earned a reputation as the person to go to when there is a mystery that needs to be solved that no one else can. 
So a late middle ages psychic detective under a king suffering from significant ongoing mental illness. While yeah, you called him called him Kim Charles the Beloved, he was in the second half of his career known as King Charles the Mad. <laughs> I'm just going with what's on the box. Similar to Watergate, I'm not actually aware of the Paris scandal of 1400. <laughs> so each crime in Chronicles of Crime 1400 starts with you waking up to one or more visions. These are represented by large vision cards that only have artwork on them. These are images that are going to hopefully help you in your investigation. After looking over these clues, the app will tell you where you are, what you know so far, and instruct you to put out various cards for locations, people, and items. People you know about are placed on the main board, whereas people you know not just about but where they are are placed at specific locations. Similarly, items you have in your position are placed on one part of the main board, while items you only know about the existence of are placed on another. So an interesting use of the zones there, as we discussed in a previous episode, one might expect the player or players to take and hold the objects they had in their possession rather than merely using just another portion of that board in front of you. Well, for one, I think this is due to the fact you're expected to be playing uh, with more than one person. Yes, you can play it one one person, but they expect to play up to four. So you kind of want all the clues everywhere because everyone is playing the one character. It's not like you're each different investigator. It's a cooperative game. You're all controlling um, Abelard or... Sorry, I forgot his name. Something Laval. I remember the last name was Laval. Yeah, Abelard. Abelard Laval. You're all controlling Abelard Laval together. So I think one of it is you want everything in the center of the table. So in whatever zone three or four, whichever that is, so that everyone can see it and everyone can interact with it. Plus, actually using the app takes two hands. You actually have to hold it over things and then also tap it. Like you have to hold down a button to scan. Well, I guess if you're really dexterous, you can do it one hand. For me, it took two hands. So there's no way like one person could hold all the cards and still also scan stuff and look around the room, which we'll get to later. Interesting. All right. Well, so a pool of resources to work with, you know, makes a little more sense there. Now, solving the crime involves traveling to various locations and interviewing people at those locations. When interviewing people, you can ask them about other people and or items. Doing this will unlock more people, more items, and more locations. Each time you talk to someone about anything, five minutes of in-game time passes. And every time you travel, 20 minutes goes by. Now, sometimes things in the game, and I was blown away by this, will actually change based on time passing. For example, someone who is at a house at one point might now be out on the, at, at an inn later. Or what people know may change if you interview them again, or have, they may have new things to say, or you might be able to interview them with new items because time has progressed during the investigation. So interesting and a very video game like mechanic with the time advancement and such, mm -hmm. uh, which is not surprising given these app driven aspects and the focus on the, you know, the app as that mm -hmm. control in the game. Yeah, what I liked about that is like all the previous exit games I've played have been static. It solved the puzzle and the puzzle stays the same no matter what. It was cool to see it adapt and change as you played. Now, all of this, we mentioned the app many times, is handled through this app, right? The Chronicles of Crime app is, is the, the, the killer app. It's, it's what you're doing to do all this. So to travel to a location, you scan the location's QR code. Once there, if you want to initiate an interview with a person, you scan that person. 
And then once you're talking to the person by scanning them, you then scan what you want to talk to them about. So you're going to ask them about different items or people by scanning the QR codes on those items and people. After each scan, you're going to read what the app says, and often it'll instruct you to pull out new cards or tell you where to, and tell you where to put them. So like, okay, you've heard about this person. He lives here. So put out the location for here and then put his card there. Or sometimes it'll be like, oh, there was a, a mugger in the, in the, the tavern, but he ran out the door and we don't know where he went. You put him in a different spot. So the cards uh, or the QR codes are essentially similar to clicking on a location or a person um, in a in a list as you get in a digital mystery game. So you know instead instead of you can interview X Y Z B, you it's interview the one of the five cards in front of you. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Well, now what you don't get here is you don't get like multiple choice questions. So you don't like go talk to someone and you get five options. Instead, you have everything in front of you you could scan to talk to them about. So it's it's not quite like a which way interface you'd expect from some video games. Now, in addition to this, you can also scan a crime scene. You can look around a crime scene. Now, this uses VR for this part of the game. One player is going to take the device you're using, either the app or, or the computer. And now with the computer, what you do is you point and click. With a phone, you can actually play either in 3D, if you actually have the proper glasses for it, Google Cardboard, or you can actually, Chronicles of Crime has an expansion that comes with a little attachment for your phone and a bonus mission. Or partial 3D, where you, you just use the, uh, the gyroscope in your device to be able to look around. Or you can play in 2D, where you just swipe or click to look around the room. So you get all those options. While one player is looking around the crime scene, they're going to call out what they see. So it's going to be like, hey, I see a window. Oh, I see. Oh, wait, there's a crossbow in the corner. Oh, there's some blood and guts over here. And you're going to say what you say. The other characters, the other people playing, sorry, the other people playing are then going to be looking through the pile of item cards and pulling out anything you mentioned. Now, these clue cards are going to be vague. So you're not going to see crossbow. You're going to find ranged weapon. And you're not going to find cross or candles or Bible. You're going to find devotional objects. And this is done for one so that they can be reused in all kinds of different crimes. Makes sense. And I think this is a really nice touch. And this is something that gives this whole app-driven aspect some real value, in my opinion. Mm. The ability to use that Google Cardboard you know, VR experience to really experience those surroundings is a fantastic touch, uh, making you sort of work for the clues, right? You mm -hmm. need to you need to use your eyes and, and experience the crime scene in order to be able to succeed, and that's that's something you can't really get without, you know, that it's 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 different than hold mm -hmm. up this card, you look at it for thirty seconds, and remember what's on it. Yeah. No, exactly. And that, that is probably the neatest part about the game. And what's uh, I think worth noting that I did, didn't have written down here is this is not um, photorealistic. You were looking at a, a painted artwork. So it's not like it's overly gory. Yes, there could be some blood and guts or whatever, but it's not it's nothing disturbing. You're not looking at a, at a 3D crime scene that's going to turn anyone's stomach. Right. They, this isn't so, photoreal yes. gore. So the game basically continues like this, right? You're going to move about, talk to people, unlock clues until you think you've solved the crime. Now, no, you have to make this call. The game is not going to tell you you've got everything. It's time to solve it. You decide when it's ready. When you do that, you're going to do something in the app that says I'm ready to solve the clue, the, the crime, and it's going to start asking you a bunch of questions. And then to answer these questions, you're going to scan things. So it's going to be like, who killed X? And in reply, you'd scan the card for the killer. And then you could be asked, yeah, where is Y hidden? And you'd scan the location that Y is hidden. I don't really don't want to spoil anything here, obviously. Plus, it's going to be different depending on which case you're done. Once you're done answering your answers in, you're given a final score. You'll have like a rating X out of X. Like our first one, we did got 110 out of 110. After seeing your score, you then have the option of reading through the full solution to see if there's anything you missed. 
So you scan kernel mustard, then you scan the kitchen, and you scan the pipe wrench, and it tells you how accurate your score was. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Now, before I get to my final thoughts on Chronicle Crime 1400, I do need to point out, I have not played the original. The original's popular, it's out there, There's, I think it won a bunch of awards, it looks kind of neat, but to be honest, it just didn't interest me. You're in... Um, you're in the UK, you're in London, you're playing a Bobby, and you don't have the prescience. I don't know, medieval just seemed way cooler to me. And I'm just not much for modern gaming, whereas once you threw this medieval veneer on here, I was like, oh, I'm all for it. I don't know why, but that's me. So this was my first experience with this franchise, and it's a unique app-based gameplay. I gotta admit, I kinda wanna go try the original already. Yeah, no, and it's, uh, you know, the original is a solid 7.8. And this, so, it you know, this is certainly a strong recommendation, even before we get to the details of the yeah. game, that, hey, I've played this game, and before we get to our review, I want to go up and play the other games in this series. No, seriously, like, I really want to check it out. Because one of the things they did that's so brilliant is by having the generic things, you could tell so many different stories with it. So, starting from the beginning, opening the box, I was impressed. The production quality here is is top-notch. The Chronicle Drive 1400 looks great. The rules are excellent. They were great for teaching the game. Lots of examples. Not too long. It was only like seven pages, so it's one of those, I wouldn't feel bad cracking the shrink on this and reading it to the other three players in front of me before playing the first time. The box inserts I love. Like, I seeing a card-based game that I can store vertically is awesome. Not that I store my games vertically, but I know many people do. So that's a that's a great one. That is one of the best I've seen. And the art here is bang on. Like it it's very evocative. It's well drawn. It I love the art. And it's as good as anything I've seen in any other game. Like this this is one that, that could be up there for like when people have game of the year for artwork of the year. This should be a nominee if it's not. Well, it's not out yet, but I'm I'm guessing in twenty twenty this might hit a, a artwork nominee for this year. Interesting. Now as for the app based investigation system, which is the heart of this, I think it's brilliant. Like, it's just such a unique and engaging way to create a mystery. It's not flipping through the book and reading the passages. Like, you actually get this feel of having to talk to the right person about the right thing and know what they're saying and how they say it. And it's all about, like, catching the lies and the subtle clues and presenting the right evidence at the right time. Like, knowing that the guy's kind of hinting at this. And you're like, oh, but here is the thing and they're like oh you caught me and they finally give in right you get all that feel of, of of a true investigation overall though this does read leads to a rather immersive experience except for one thing i'm using an app and it's supposed to be 1400 france and that just there's something incongruous about that right like it just feels off plus there's all the common issues that come up with trying to scan anything like, sometimes you don't get the angle right, and the lighting's not good, and you got to pick the card up. And sometimes you're not careful. You're holding a card in your hand, and you scan the one behind it, and you lose 20 minutes because you just traveled. You didn't want to travel, and there's no one due. All of that firmly takes you out of the moment of trying to solve a crime. Right. So here's where I need to ask the question. Uh, and I don't know if any of our listeners have, but this one came to me while I was sort of going through the original review on this, is why is this a board game? While it's wonderful that they've gone into so much effort and, and put such fantastic art into it uh, and, and gone to all these components and the presentation, why is any of the physical material acquired? What does it bring to the game that couldn't have just been handled in an app where instead of scanning the, the kitchen, you click the button that says kitchen? Mm -hmm. Fair, very fair question. So I'm going to start off like going back to when we were talking about the zones of play, right? So one of the things... If you've ever played like um, 
Oh, I'm drawing up Telltale games. That's what these remind me of, right? Point and click style adventures, any of the Telltale games. Those are single player experiences. Those are something you sit with your app and you play through it, your, your tablet, your phone. Whereas this is meant to be a multiplayer experience. And that is something you're not going to be able to recreate with an app. And yes, I guess you pass the phone and you click the next two things and you click the next two things, right? You're not all going to be able to work on it at the same time. Now, one person's going to be doing the scanning, but everyone else can interact with the stuff. Right? They're going to be able to pick up things and they can look at the vision cards and then you're going to have a discussion with each other on what to do. Right, like Who should I talk to next? Or did you remember this fact? Or do you remember that's her husband? Oh, wait, I bet you the ring means they're cheating on each other or whatever. And that physicality is the next part of it, which is the fact that everything's laid out in front of you. Like you have all of the clues and all the locations and all of the people involved in front of you that you know at one time. So it's like it's... It's almost like your game table becomes a cork board, right? Or a murder board. With There's no strings, but you've got everything kind of tied together. And I personally don't see how you could recreate that information in a usable way on an app. Like, that just seems like one of the, like, I zoom in, zoom out, I don't know. Plus, you can manipulate it. So I can move this here, put this there, when someone moves from this, when I know that someone's been murdered, I can then move them, and I know they're burying the body, I move the card to the, the, the graveyard location, and like there's a physicality there that's, that would be missing from an app, and I think that is a good part of it. Two is you're touching things, the, the, the tactile thing. Now, maybe this is just me. We've talked about this before, how I cannot play the Onitama app or the Hive app, but you play me in the real game and I'm, I'm a killer at it. Just something about touching and moving things just, just has more permanence to me and it sticks in my head better. Just even things like while the player is looking around the room, the other player is shuffling through the clue cards, looking for the right object or being able to like pick up the person who's investigating and physically moving cards and stuff like that. All of that, I don't think you'd get with just a digital experience. All right. Well, I, I think honestly, uh, that, that kind of does sell me on, tell me, sell me, sell me on the differences. Um, the, the, the physical manipulation of the objects yeah. is definitely something that I can't think of a game that's managed to reproduce, uh, but doubling down the group is aspect. Now, I mean, the group aspect I think is still a little odd because you are all playing one person. Yeah. So, um, you know, not only is the king having psych psychotic episodes, <laughs> you've got four voices in your head. Yeah. Uh, Abelard Laval has got four voices in his head. Yes. But uh, let's hear your final thoughts then. All right. Overall, I think you can probably tell just even by my manner of speaking here, I was really impressed by Chronicles of Crime 1400, both uh, the physical components and more importantly, the actual gameplay. This was a totally unique crime investigation experience for me I and my family, right? Like we played four of us with my extended family. And we all greatly enjoyed all our plays of the game so far. Like I, the, the system's just brilliant. Like I can't wait. To play the rest of them in the box and i'll admit i haven't played them all and to be honest they haven't all even been written yet because <laughs> this was a kickstarter that's not out yet i can't even play all of them but we haven't done them all but i am looking forward to playing them and then checking out the other games in the millennium series like one of them is going to be sci-fi i don't i don't have it in front of me like there's 1400 and then i think there's 1900 or something like that and then there's like 23 something so that just looks really cool and even though I, I modern. I don't know what it is. I, I I live in modern time, so I don't want to play in that time period normally. I guess isn't my thing. I am curious to check out Chronicles of Crime now. I honestly think if you dig, you know, CSI crime investigation that genre of that genre overall, you need to check out this series of games. Whether it's fourteen hundred, the original series, I don't think anyone who's a fan of mysteries and murder mysteries and any of that style of gameplay is going to be disappointed with the system. Even if you don't 
generally think those are the kind of games you enjoy, that was me. So you might want to check this out. Like, the only thing that got me to try this is I'm like, ah, Medieval Knight with Prescience. That sounds kind of neat. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have ever tried this. And man, I would have messed out. This is the most fun I personally had with any of these style of games. All right, well, for a much more in-depth look at Chronicles of Crime 1400, you can head over to TabletopBellhop.com and click on Reviews. Welcome to our spoiler-free review of The Shining, Escape from the Overlook Hotel, the second escape room, escape room in a box style game using the Coded Chronicles system. Before we get going, I want to take a moment to thank the op for sending us a pre-release review copy of this game. Now, just to make it clear, we're the game we are talking about is The Shining Escape from the Overlook Hotel, soon to be released in November by The Op, and not just The Shining, released earlier this year by Funko, and designed by Prospero Hall, or the self-published Shining game from Matthew Natterhoft, released in 1998. I will personally note that the SEO uh, of whatever uh, search system that BGG implements... Uh, has really actually impressed me because the first time we started talking about this game, if I typed The Shining into the BGG search engine, this game didn't come up. And now it's the third one on the list because I've been searching it regularly and other people have been searching it regularly as it comes up. So uh, it's, it's interesting that as the game becomes more popular, BGG starts recognizing it as a real game. Yeah, it was interesting because Sean's like, it's not on there. I'm like, it's number five for me, and that was yesterday. So it's moved from five to three, just overnight. All right, so The Shining Escape from the Overlook Hotel was designed by Jay Cormier and Sen Foon Lim, sometimes known as the Bamboozle Brothers, two awesome Canadian game designers. This is the same team that did the first Coded Chronicles game, which is Scooby-Doo Escape from the Haunted Mansion. Both of these games were published by The Op. This escape room in a box style board game plays one or more players, uh, literally says one to 999, split over to two acts. Now, Board Game Geek claims each act will take about 90 minutes. It took us significantly longer than that, though this was mainly due to issues we will discuss later. To see for yourself what you get in this puzzle-filled game, check out our unboxing video on YouTube. Don't worry, we don't spoil any of the puzzles. We just show off the first couple of cards and components that won't make any sense to you at all. <laughs> Probably not. Now, in order to save some time tonight for a full breakdown of the components, you will have to check out the, the YouTube video or the written review on the blog. Just quickly, you get a rule book, four different clue books, a deck of clue cards, some room tiles, a couple standees, and a number of sealed envelopes. Now, what I will note here is I dig the work that went into theming these components. Like, the envelopes are an Overlook Hotel envelope, like as if you were going to send a letter from this hotel that doesn't exist. And the books look like various journals. And I particularly liked Danny's composition book because I own many of those very, like, it looks like a composition book. And I just thought that was a nice touch. So when we're looking uh, at components, uh, it's a very similar set to what we get with Scooby-Doo, mm. with a different theme, obviously, where the Scooby-Doo Escape from Haunted Mansion, just with very different theming. Yes, very different theming. All right, to start off a game of The Shining Escape from the Overhooked Hotel, you're going to read a specific entry in one of the books. This entry sets the tone and also directs you to set up the first room and put one of the two characters in play. Now, the story here starts in media res, meaning like right in the middle of the action, and man, does it do a great job of ramping up the tension right from the start. How? 
Well, you're going to have to play to find out because I don't want to give anything away. But I will just say it was very well done for getting the mood and getting you oh, into the oh my god right from the start. Now, from here, players will be working together using the characters who are present to interact with items in the room. Each character has two skills. Wendy can look and use. Danny can look and shine. When using a skill, what you do is you're going to place the character standing next to an item on the map. And the items on the map are going to have two or three digits numbers on them. So to look in the drawer, you would put Wendy next to the drawer. You would look up her look number, which is one. You'd look up the drawer number, which is 203. I'm making up these numbers off the top of my head. And you would look up 1203 in the book and read it out to see what you've discovered. Reading entries in the book are often going to unlock new things in the form of clue cards being flipped over, sealed envelopes being opened, and doing this is going to add new rooms to the map and new things for you to interact with. So now I noticed that two uh, characters share a skill. Do they both mm -hmm. use the same book for looking at things, or does it matter who looks at an item? Each character's look skill is completely different, and each character has their own book. So what it is is looking from a different perspective on things. And what's fascinating here for anyone who doesn't know the background is you are looking from an adult's perspective and a child's, which can be very important for finding clues. Now, unlike the other Coded Chronicles game, uh, there is a bit of a uh, bit more mechanics, a little bit more fiddliness to this edition with Wendy's usability. It works a little differently. For Wendy's ability, you have to have discovered an item with a single digit number on it. This is generally something you'd carry around. Um, you're then going to combine that number with a two digit object, either another item card on, or something on the map. And then the number of Wendy's use skill, which is two. So that again, gets you a four digit number that you'll look it up in the books to see what happens when you use that object with this other thing. Right. So it's actually a use X with Y as opposed to a use object. So you can't use a door, but you can use a key with a door. Exactly. That's exactly the way it works. And the only way to use the skill is to combine things. Like you can't even use this skill on a three digit item in the game. Like there, there wouldn't be a way if the door is a three digit item, you wouldn't be able to use the door. Now, some entries will lead you, and this is another big difference from Scooby-Doo, to what the game calls unscripted endings. This means your group did something wrong. You had the wrong answer to a puzzle. You went the wrong way. You wasted too much time. Uh, again, for people who know the background, Jack caught you. Uh, you're going to record each time you get an unscripted ending and then go back and try something else. Right. Now, familiar uh, to anyone who used a bookmark to go back and try again in a which way book. But yeah. this time you have to keep score when you do it. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Now, in addition, and this is the, the, the closest I'm going to get to a spoiler tonight. There is a timing element to this game that's unlocked early. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to tell you how it works or any more than that. But just know that there is a timing element that is going to give you an in added incentive not to waste time. And an additional penalty for when you try a code combination that isn't in a book. So when you go to try to use the door and it doesn't work because the knife in the door just doesn't get the door open, you need the key. Note this is in-game. This isn't an actual physical timer. Like, you're not, you're not putting on a timer or anything. This is in-game time being spent. So unlike Scooby-Doo, you don't want to take the time to try out every potential combination no. as you're going along just to see what you get. Correct. Now, if you do get stuck on a puzzle, there, on the back of the rule book, there's a list of the main puzzles in the game with entry numbers you can look up for clues. And there's a variable number of clues for each of the different puzzles. Now, while looking these up, there may be a penalty for looking or might not. What's 
good to see, in my opinion, this is the same thing that's in the exit games, is that if you look up a clue and it doesn't give you anything new, like if you already knew that the thing you had to do was to count the things and the clue says count the things, you're like, yeah, well, duh, then you don't get penalized. It's only when you say you have to count the things and, and you're like, oh, I didn't get the end, that's when it's going to count against you. Now, that's it. You continue the game like this, exploring the Overlook Hotel, finding clues, solving puzzles, until hopefully you escape. At the end of the game, you're going to calculate a final score based on how many of those unscripted endings you've marked off during your play. Right. Now, interestingly, they t- they call them unscripted endings. And I wonder how much of this uh, is related to the fact that film buffs will usually know that Kubrick took many liberties with this <laughs> film, uh, much to the dismay of Stephen King. And yeah. part of that was the ending. Now, there were also many other endings that were considered during the scripting process, uh, the writing of the screenplay, uh, that never made it to uh, to film. But uh, there, it, there was a many branches that could have gone on to uh, celluloid mm-hmm. for this making of this movie. So while talking to Jay Cormier about this game, about which we'll talk a bit more in a little bit, this is meant to perfectly recreate the movie with them throwing in puzzles that make sense in the movie. So you are playing out the, the actual movie version, not the book version. And from what I understand, some of the unscripted endings were alternative endings. So, and that's why they go with it. And actually, when you read the books, it says the movie didn't end this way or something. I forget the actual words it uses. Okay. You you can see that paragraph a lot, depending on how, how you do things. Right. So one of the nice features of this game, again, carried over from Scooby-Doo, is that at the halfway point of the game, after solving about half the puzzles, the game gives you a chance to save the game. Here, the game goes through a quick cleanup where it's like, you don't need any of this anymore. Put it back in the box. And then here is what you have to have to go forward, which I think is really useful because it makes sure you didn't miss anything. Now, if there's anything you missed going forward, you're going to take unscripted ending penalties for anything you miss. So it's like, look, you need to have cards 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You're like, ooh, I never got 11. Well, you now get to get 11. You don't get to find out what you missed, but you get the clue you need to continue. But you got to take one of those penalties. Right. Now, as uh, as people might remember, we did discover a slight problem in this aspect of the game for the Scooby-Doo game. Uh, was it more complete for this one? Uh, all I can say right now is maybe, because <laughs> I'm not totally sure. Uh, a bit more about that in a little bit. So before I get into my thoughts on this game, I, I do have to point out, first of all, um, how much I love scooby-doo our entire family we loved the first code chronicles game like to me that's if it came out in 2019 it's a game of year 2019 if it came out in 2020 it deserves to win at least family game or kids game something it's got to win something we were blown away by this this was literally one of the best family gaming experience we've had together with the kids laughing out loud and excited to play and bouncing up and down like three-year-olds it was insane how excited my kids got the game was fantastic yes there was a little little twinge there there was a little issue but it wasn't game breaking and we had so much fun playing that if it wasn't for how much i enjoyed that i probably wouldn't have asked the op to review this one indeed and i would say the review was quite glowing for yeah. scooby-doo uh and online there was plenty of talk with the creators uh, i even jumped into a couple of threads yeah. about what other content would be a great mm-hmm. match for this system now, one of the reasons this game probably wouldn't have entered me at all without playing Scooby-Doo is I've never read the book. I've never watched The Shining. It came out when I was five, and I just never, like, I didn't really watch horror movies growing up. I know literally nothing about it except Red Rum, All Work, No Play, and Here's Johnny. And I don't even know 
what those relate to. Like, I have no context. Those are just, like, cultural memes that are out there that I've heard. I know nothing what they mean at all. So that leads me to my first problem with The Shining Escape from the Overlook Hotel. Though I don't know if it's necessarily a problem, but compared to Scooby-Doo, I, I was familiar with Scooby-Doo, obviously. I grew up in the 80s. I know what Scooby-Doo was. But after playing that game, I didn't feel I needed to know Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I would have got some of the inside jokes. I would have known what rut row means. And I would have understood why, Scooby's, why Shaggy's always hungry or whatever. And as a perfect example is my kids know the bare minimum about the license. To the fact they were confused there was a talking dog. Like the first time Scooby talked, they're like, what? The dog could talk. That's how little they knew about Scooby-Doo. But we had zero problem engaging with that game. Any of us. Unfortunately, we didn't find the same thing here with The Shining. Uh, very license knowledge specific game. Now, I can't say I'm honestly surprised in this particular case. Um, and uh, I had been wondering earlier if you if it was based off the movie or used the book. And I guess Jay has cleared that up for us. So it is clearly the movie yes. in this case. It is the movie edition. Um, to be honest, it actually starts partway through the movie and references things that happened earlier in the movie, which was just confusing. Like, to be honest, people who know The Shining are going to know what I'm talking about. And people who don't are going to feel like I did when we started playing this game. Because the first Danny entry we read had some character named Tony talking. And Danny was talking to Tony, but there was only one person in the room. And I had no idea what was going on. There was no explanation of who Tony was. Now, after a few entries, we were able to kind of put together what was going on. But even then, we still weren't sure until after the fact. I now know a little bit more. And once mom got involved and whatever. And, and like, I know the early puzzles would have made a lot more sense if we'd been familiar with Danny and his particular abilities, we'll just say. We had similar issues with some of the other characters, right? Like, why are we worried about Grady? I still don't know who Grady is or why we should be worried. But, man, we had to be worried about Grady. Along with this, there was all kinds of things that referenced stuff that already happened. Like, there's the thing from when she did this to Jack. And I'm like, when she did what? That happened in the movie before this game started. Like, I, I at first I assumed this is what it was, and now it's been confirmed. I talked to Jay, and sure enough, this starts partway through the movie. So you're expected to know all the stuff leading up to this point. And no, the game is not unplayable without knowing the source material. Like, we were able to complete the game, we played through it, and we, we got the overall story, but it just felt like we were missing out on things, and we felt a bit lost during parts of the story because we weren't familiar with The Shining. Now, I, it's unfortunate, but at the same time, honestly, probably not something that's all that likely in the real world. Uh, it's, you know, I, I highly doubt that people who aren't familiar with the Shining are going to be in too much of a rush to go out and purchase something that is very much licensed IP content. I don't know about that just because of how good Scooby-Doo is. I think there's going to be a lot of people who play Scooby-Doo and then do like I do and go, man, that Coded Chronicle system's awesome. I want to try the next game, whether they know the license or not. Well, I mean, that's what I'd worry. Th those people might watch the movie first, though. That's true. <laughs> and to be honest, I almost did. Right. Sean was actually the one who talked me out of it said i'd rather hear in a review of if the game works without knowing the license because we almost we almost rented it online somehow if we found it for sale on one of the yeah there's Amazon a it's it's, it's it's actually a, it's actually in movie theaters right now um, oh it's, wow it's a 40 year anniversary ah uh, okay there you go which makes sense why two board games for it came out this <laughs> year all right so that was one issue we didn't know the shining it didn't ruin the game though that that wasn't the biggest problem with it the biggest problem was 
which thankfully is one the rest of you should not have to worry about whatsoever. So you're going to have to listen to all this and kind of forget it in a way, because it ends up the copy we got was an early review printing. And I am sorry to say had some serious issues. In particular, there were a few wrong entries, as well as missing entries in the books. One of them being the first puzzle in the game. Literally the first puzzle you were to solve was missing the clue to solve it. I ended up having to flip through the clue deck to try to find a certain object only because I was able to read the answer that said, put this thing with this thing that we didn't have. Like one, like I had to find the card and then I had to go through the book and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go through the book and find out how we should have got this card. It wasn't there. It didn't exist. There was no entry that would have ever led us to that clue. Instead, there was an entry we read that we were confused by but not too confused because we just thought it was another weird Danny thing. Because <laughs> we were like, I don't know, he's talking to someone else now. Right? That's how we thought it was. Having missing information, which led to an unsolvable puzzle, the first puzzle of the game, the game was as broken as Master of the Universe at that point. Like, it was, you, you couldn't continue. Like, we had to figure out a fix to let us progress. It just kind of ignored it and went, well, these two things go together because the book says they go together and we'll just keep playing. Right. Yeah. You never want to hear your game re referred to as just as bad as Masters of the Universe. Yes. Uh, but it's a problem that one runs into with previews versus reviews. See, the problem that with that was this wasn't meant to be a preview as far as I knew. Like this was the first official printing of the game. I was supposedly getting a retail copy being sent out to reviewers. I had no idea I was getting anything different from what people would find in stores. Now, Again, you can kind of throw all this out because I have confirmation from the op, that's the publisher, that this issue was noted by other reviewers. They got the information back to the op in time and they were able to fix it for the initial retail print run. So no one reading this should have to worry about this problem. However, I got to say, like it kind of affected our feel of the entire game going forward. Which is completely understandable as an unplayable game is really hard not only to enjoy, but also to review. Yeah. <laughs> It was interesting. So, like I said, we managed to get past We brute-forced our way past the first puzzle, right? We basically skipped it and went, all right, we're done, the first puzzle. Um, let's keep playing. And the rest of it went pretty well. Now, there were other problems. Now, this is going to affect everyone. The graphic design in this game I would call questionable. Some of the text and writing on the cards is very small. Like, this isn't, like, background info on the cards or just pretty artwork. This is information that's required to solve some of the puzzles. We actually went and grabbed the magnifying glass after revealing the first couple of clue cards to be able to make things out. Added to this is the, 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 the very deliberate choice of a very dark color scheme for the room and map cards. Some of these are so dark that it's hard to tell exactly what a number on the card is supposed to be. Like, there's a number floating here. What's it mean? Both of these design issues combined made puzzles where you had to look for and count things on the various room cards needlessly difficult. Right. Well, and while I understand you want to build an aesthetic, it's also probably the case that there are fewer younger fans of a movie that came out 40 years ago. Yes. So aging eyes are a problem more so with a game like this than yeah. a game aimed at a younger audience. All right. My final complaint about the shiny escape for the overlooked hotel are Many of the, the two-digit items, right? We talked earlier about how Wendy has that use ability, which is meant to combine one object with a two-digit object. The problem is we were having a real hard time telling what the things were. 
Like, here we have a room with a ballroom, and there's a number 23 on it that's just sitting on the floor. What is 23? And, like, I, I, like, I had literally no clue. Is that a window? Is it the carpet we're interacting with? What is 23? So, like, we're literally just grabbing something. Like, like we can't look, right? So any of, anything else in the room, if it's a three-digit work, right? So if it was 123, we could use either of the characters to look at it. And then you'd look up that entry, and it would say, hey, I found a carpet on the floor. And it would make sense. But you couldn't look at the two-digit objects. So you just, like, fumbled around. You're like, I don't know what that is. Let's try using the knife. So let's look up 2823. And then you'd look it up, and it'd be like, Jack comes at you with the ice pick. You're like, whoa, Jack, we haven't even seen Jack. What, what's going on? You're like, oh, obviously that's a wrong entry. So now we have to take a penalty because we couldn't tell what the thing on the map was. That was a little rough. Yeah, that's 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 unfortunate. And while I expect some of this can be chalked up to not knowing the source material, it is still problematic if they are leaning that heavily on the license. Yeah, and even without the license, like there's just stuff that like I don't think the carpet would have mattered. Maybe if you'd seen the movie, you'd know that corner of the room had something in it. I don't know. I think some of it was just art choices. There was a, a particular. No, I don't want to spoil it. Never mind. <laughs> so. All right, that's a lot of negatives, I realize. Okay, I don't want people to get the idea that this was a horrible experience. Well, the got to admit, that misprinting issue. Don't worry about that. That'll be fixed. That In the final copy, you'll be all good. Except for that, there was a lot to like here. This wasn't a terrible thing. It was just obviously we found some problems. The Coded Chronicles system is still brilliant. Like, like I don't know, these games do such a great job of feeling like exploring an area, wandering around and looking at different things and figuring out how to put them together to progress the story. That is still really well done. The story is bang on. Like, like it starts off with a bang. That in-media res intro really sets the tone right from the start. You're like, you're not playing Scooby-Doo here. You're, you are in a Stephen King horror. You, you, are, you are in a very different place here with a very different tone. And it really ramped up the tension quickly. And then the tension only gets more intense once that timing mechanic gets in where you're like oh i don't want to keep looking at the things and i didn't want to just combine things randomly because there's a penalty for doing that you really feel like you don't have enough time you're on the run and that you want to be extra careful not to waste time in actions so it does seem like they've really definitely found the tone for mm -hmm. this game and, and and set that you know quite accurately no i agree without knowing the movie but knowing the general gist right now, most of the puzzles, I got to say, were, were bang on. Like, they were just difficult enough. Like, there were a couple that had a stump for a significant amount of time, but we managed to solve them working together. However, there was one puzzle that did completely stump us due to the fact we failed to find the clues necessary to solve it. Now, this was in Act 2, and as far as I know from Jay, there weren't any printing issues in the second act in our copy so i'm actually still waiting for a confirmation on the op on that because i'm not sure how we could have missed anything but because of this missing clue whether it's our fault or the games again i i i can't help but suspect the game after what happened in act one but let's say it's us we missed it that's fine we literally had to do the solve like not to, we had to go past the clues and go right to the solution for this and it just happened to be the final puzzle and this is the it's, i'm, I'm going to start calling it the pandemic legacy experience because it's the same thing that kind of soured me on all the pandemic legacy is that our last month of december and pandemic legacy was such a poor game that it's kind of ruined the whole feel well, we kind of got that for this the last puzzle we solved as we escaped and and got out we had to look up the answer so that was a little disappointing yeah, unfortunately, like a fine meal, a good game can be ruined by that last bite gone sour. Yeah. 
So back to positive things, right? Um, I thought the implementation of Shine was very cool. I still don't know exactly what Shine's supposed to be, but they did some neat stuff that we didn't see in Scooby-Doo, so that was cool. And it was actually neat stuff I haven't seen in any other Escape Room game either. So they did cool work there. For those who know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Um, all the ex exploration, item finding, figuring out how to combine those items, um, the system basically works really well. Like, I, I dig all of that. And it feels even more so than scooby-doo like one of those point and click adventures and i think that's a good thing like i'm not trying to say it's bad that it feels like a, i think it's phenomenal that they're able to recreate that feel of like games like mist or the the ones we were talking about earlier and i, I can't remember the telltale series of games like i i like that i felt like i was playing seventh guest right and i think that's a cool thing and for the most part we enjoyed playing the shining uh, at Escape from Overlook Hotel. Like, most of the puzzles were just difficult enough for us to do it. The story was exciting and engaging. The system's brilliant. Like, I, I, no matter how I feel about this game, I'm still looking forward to the next Coded Chronicles game, which I really want to check out. I want to see what they can do with this. Overall, though, I'm sure you can tell by now, we didn't enjoy this one as much as Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo just seemed tighter, more focused, better written, and the mechanics just worked better. It was less fiddly, and we didn't find weird things we were working up the wrong stuff and combining things the wrong way. Plus, it didn't assume any knowledge or require any knowledge of the source material, which in that, I think, steps it up a bit that way, that it's going to be more accessible for more people. There were many frustrating moments in The Shining. In particular, we found the use skill to be more annoying than neat. Like, it was just too many times, like, I don't know, try this with this. Oh, we take another penalty. I ah, try this with this. Okay, how about you try this one, right? And then that combined with issues of not recognizing it, right? Like when we didn't even know what we were interacting with. Like, yeah, I'm using a knife with something. And then that combined with the, the difficulty to read clues and, and hard to find stuff on the things. And then, well, of course, the printing issues with our copy of the game. Now, again, I, I know this shouldn't affect most people, but I couldn't help that tainting our enjoyment of the game. We had a broken game. We had to kind of hack through to get through it. Now, I'm glad we played The Shining. Unfortunately, though, I can't give this one a very strong recommendation. Now, what I'm hearing from this is that if you are a fan of the film The Shining, you are going to find a lot to like in this Escape Room in a Box game. It seems to do a great job of recreating the tension, mystery, and the horror from the film. And this game could be a great way for fans of the movie to experience in a new, rather engaging way, as long as their eyesight's good enough. Yes. Bring a, ma a magnifying glass. Seriously, you're going to need one. Now, if you played Scooby-Doo Escape from Haunted Mansion, and you really need to play another Coded Chronicles experience, give it a shot. Um, you're going to, hopefully, all the printing issues are fixed by now. Like, according to the op, it should be all good. So that should mean you're going to have a better experience than we did. Like, it's hard not to be negative on a game that was broken when we were playing it. Now, if you haven't tried a Coded Chronicles game and you're curious about them, I would start with Scooby-Doo. Even if you're not a huge Scooby-Doo fan, it's just, it's simpler, it's tighter, it's more fun, it's lighter, it's fluffier, the puzzles are a little easier, you're not going to get stumped, and there's no way to, like, lose, right? Where in this one, you can lose multiple times, like, there are dead ends, and then you have to back up and resave. You don't find that in Scooby-Doo. I would suggest giving Scooby-Doo a shot, and then if you love it, if you absolutely must have more Coded Chronicles, then maybe give this a shot. Well, for a more in-depth look at The Shining Escape from the Overlook Hotel, you can head over to TabletopBellhop.com and click on Reviews. And now, The Bellhop's Tabletop, where we look back and summarize what's happened since we were last here. What games hit our tables? 
Every week, we like to take a look back at the games we played and the events we attended. Man, when's the last time we went to an event? We, we just cut that part out of the notes. And hopefully, we'll go to events again. Yeah. And any other cool gaming stuff that happens to be going on while we sit at home and play with each other. That didn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It really wasn't a big week for gaming for us. Um, we had planned to spend Saturday night gaming and playing some games. But you know what? Both of us were exhausted. And we went to bed early on a Saturday night when like we didn't, not even all the kids were here. So I don't know. It happens. It was nice. Uh, we got some sleep. Much needed sleep. Sunday, though, we did head over to Brenda and Holly's place. And we played some of the Chronicles of Crime we were talking about earlier in the Review Cup segment. I think we already pretty much covered that in depth. All I really want to add here is that both Holly and Brenda really enjoyed it and have already asked when we can get together to try one of the harder crimes. So I am looking forward to doing more fun investigating in 1400 Paris. And once again, uh, since the pandemic has struck, I'm sure my kids would actually happily lend you one of their uh, VR masks for, for Google phones uh, to use in the game, uh, which would make it a, a fun little thing. But getting it down there would be, of course, yeah. problematic. Uh, it's a shame you don't properly get to experience that. I mean, looking around and using the, the, the Facebook 360 mm -hmm. is, is one thing, but having that, you know, that view in front of you and mm -hmm. nothing else but the room is uh, would be a fun thing. Uh, a fun idea. I, I will admit, I don't know if I should allow Deanna to do that, because even with the Facebook three shits, she, she almost walked into the stairs and something. So she wanted to wander around the room just using a <laughs> phone. So we, we might not want to try that. And to be honest, I've actually contacted the local game store. I got a hold of Ian at the CG Realm to see if they can get in the, uh, I forget what they call it, the, the VR expansion. Right. Because it does actually come with another mystery. Which now, once I get that, I'm going to have to buy Chronicles of Crime now because I'm going to have a mystery for it and the 3D glasses. Right. It, it, assuming the price is right. I have, they haven't got back me on a price, but looking online, it seemed to be very reasonable. Plus, I'm thinking it'd be a cool thing to just have for other uses. Yeah. Although I think that one is only just a, a set of glasses that keep your phone. Yeah, yeah. Right there's distance. no, there's no, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, whereas I've actually got, uh, it's, it's, it looks like a, um, like an actual like VR an helmet list. that you oh, drop okay. your phone into the front of. And uh, it's actually got, you know, adjustments for distance so that you can compensate for glasses on or off and things like right. that. Right. Yeah, no, no. This is just, a, it's actually cardboard. Yeah. And it slides over and holds it, you know, the right viewing distance. Yeah, I saw an image in the in the preview shot. And to be honest, I've been actually really tempted to just try it because I am really good at those magic eye things. And I'm pretty sure I could do it without anything. <laughs> but I haven't actually done it yet because, well, it's going to take up time in game. Right. So, I, 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 like, I have to go to a crime we've already solved just right, to try it. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure I could pull it off. All right. Uh, also this week, I did get in some BGA plays, not as much as usual. Um, I am playing the worst game of Terra Mystica I have ever played. Like, this, this is the, like, I messed up. I'm, I'm playing the Cultists. I obviously had, somehow had never played them before. And right from the start, like, I, I've got no chance. I, I messed up. I did the wrong thing. I forgot exactly. I forgot it's, I, I even right now, when you get power, is it when you build or is it when people build next to you? And I mixed up which that was, so I did this thing expecting to get lots of power and got none, and oh, I'm I'm screwed. Like, I am tempted to concede, but I don't think you can really do that in this game. Like, I know you can do it on Board Game Arena, but like, I don't know what that would do to my stuff on the board, and then I wouldn't be next to people, and I wouldn't be generating power. And like, so I'm not, I don't want to actually do it, but man, this is, this is, oh, terrible. Game of Terra Mystica. 
which which might explain why I've been looking at this game and thinking I'm doing quite well and off to a strong start, but <laughs> only go. because apparently you've goofed it up. But maybe I don't know. I don't um, know. Maybe I don't even know if I'm next to you. No, that's see, how much actually, I'm paying attention to this. He's game. the one next to me, so, so I don't know. No, I, I'm having no impact on you. So you, you guys can do your own thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing I'm next to Pale Kerr probably, who's going to win anyway, right? <laughs> so I don't know. That, that is the worst. I, that's terrible. Uh, it's Frostbite and Eric in that one with us. Oh, I couldn't uh, remember who was yeah. where. So, yeah, it's, it's always always hard to tell. I forget who's in which game. Uh, other board game arena case, uh, plays include some more three-player clans at Caledonia. Uh, this is another one where I made an early mistake, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to recover from that one. I went through the first year and didn't get that free five bucks for taking a second contract, so... I don't know if that's going to be enough to ruin it. I'm, I'm picking it up. It's getting a little better. Um, I got Race for the Galaxy going. Actually, I got a big military game going this time. Last time, man, you know what I found in Race for the Galaxy? I play a lot of Race for the Galaxy now. And, like, I thought I knew the game well. I can't seem to get a trade consume to work to win a game yet. Hmm. Like, I, I just can't do it. It seems to all be based on getting the high point cards in your tableau and not actually worry about victory points at all. And that seems weird compared to my physical plays of the game. And I'm like, what am I missing? Because, like, I tried. I had, like, all the combos for rare goods last game, and I just could not get it to work. I, I was shocked. I mean, that last uh, Race for the Galaxy game, I'm not a good Race for the Galaxy player. I will say that straight up. I do not, I have not played the game in person enough to really get a lot of it. Um, so I kind of fly, fly along and, and, and play. But I, I, I got on a roll this time, and I stayed away from yeah. the military. I have a tendency to play military in the game. And I avoided it that last game and ended up coming in second after Eric. So I did something right, and I'm trying to recreate something this time around. So what we're saying is neither of us actually know how to play Race (laughs) for the Galaxy. We just click on cards. Uh, yeah, I, I actually had a really great experience yesterday, just yesterday, uh, where I had a real time game or near real time game of Carcassonne with Eric, okay, cool. um, which was a lovely surprise. Usually we're in a four player or a three player game, which honestly takes weeks to play wow. out. I mean, Carcassonne is a, is a lengthy game when you're waiting between turns for people in different time zones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric and Eric and a lot of the players are out there out uh, in the uh, you know Washington Oregon mm-hmm. area and so it's it's a we we play on very different schedules a lot of the time uh but it just so happened that I don't know if he didn't invite anyone or if everyone else bailed out but we were both on and a game of cart <laughs> broke out and nice. we finished it all in one uh, in one day which was very nice very cool now the rest of my gaming for this week has been trying to play the shining and well emails and direct messages back and forth with the op and one of the designers due to issues with the printing i received um as i'm sure you could tell from the reviewer earlier that's been rather frustrating like i gotta say like we probably should have put this one on hold i don't know i i didn't know what to do with this like it is hard to review a game when the copy you have is literally broken but you know what's been fixed right like i know no one else is gonna have this problem and what frustrated us isn't gonna frustrate anyone else but it's just, like, how do I put myself in the mindset of, well, if that didn't happen, would I be having fun? Like, it's, it's really difficult. Now, the op has, this is pretty cool of them, offered to send me a, a complete copy when, when the game's done. But I'm kind of like, well, I've already played. What am I going to do with that? Like, I almost, like, we, we were done Act 1. I'm like, maybe I even talked to Deanna about it. Maybe we won't do Act 2 until the new copy shows up. Right. But then they said they didn't think there was anything wrong in Act 2. But then I'm not sure. That one clue we missed for the final puzzle, I, I don't know. My fault or theirs. And like I said, the problem is... We then spent the rest of the game expecting it to be more broken. 
Like right. he just, you couldn't help it. It was like every time he got stuck, is it, are we stuck or is the game broken? And I just, you couldn't shake that feeling. So I feel kind of bad for my review on that one, but like I also don't because the op didn't tell me I was getting a pre-release copy that may have problems with it. Right. But I am really glad it got caught. Like I feel a little bad for calling them out on Twitter, but at the time I'm like, someone might be sitting in an email right now saying, yes, ship it. And I wanted them to know as soon as possible, yep. don't hit ship it because you don't want this to hit the market. That would have ruined them. Like Coded Chronicles, no one would be talking about a year from now because that one would have came out. You get stuck in the first puzzle. It would have been a huge flop. And I wanted to make sure to get a hold of someone right away. So I tweeted, I went on Facebook, I sent them board game geek message and I went in my Gmail. Like I tried four different ways to say, hey, what's going on here? This isn't right. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... It's definitely something. One thing, I, if you're going to get a full co box copy, one of the things that might be interesting is to now go watch the movie and sit yeah. down again and see if they see how different that experience is. Uh, I mean, obviously, you're going to be able well, to blow through some things. Be. The puzzles aren't going to be that difficult, but uh, you know, you'll have a little bit of a different experience as to how yeah. how things read to you and you'll know better whether or not certain things make sense and whether mm -hmm. or not you can count all of the, I'm not going to talk about it here, yeah, items exactly. um, from watching the movie, or mm -hmm. if, no, it's still graphically a problem or something. Yeah, no, I agree. So i got to be admit, well, I'm tempted to get a sealed game that I've already played, why would I open it? Like, <laughs> like to me, that's just like, well, that'll be True. a giveaway or yeah, an extra there. life gift or there something. Yep. Like, I appreciate it. I appreciate the op is going to send me a complete copy so I have a full copy of the game. But it's kind of silly on a game you can only play once. Yeah. So we'll see. One of the things people have suggested, and I think it is a good idea, is I could then run an event publicly and game master it. Right. Because I know the flaws. I know the problems. So I can guide people. Like like you talked about with the like physical escape rooms, right? Where you would have a guide there to say, you know what? You're pushing the right button. You just got to push harder. Yep. And and being able to do that, I actually think that'd be enjoyable because I like that DM role. I've, I've enjoyed it for years in role-playing situations. I think it would be fun to, in, to do it. Though I think Deanna's better at the voices. Maybe I'll have her read the uh, the different paragraphs. And having now watched a couple clips of The Shining, I now understand what a couple things should sound like, I guess. Right. It's a way to put it. All right, well, how about a look ahead? What do you have planned for the coming weeks? All right, so yet again, we are, we are we're planning... We, we are have stuff planned and scheduled. So next week, we got a question from a patron of the show, Roger Malosh, uh, about classic trick-taking card games that is going to lead to some interesting discussions, something we're going to talk about. Now, this isn't a huge topic, so I think what we're going to do is we're going to sit there and we're going to talk about it, but then we are going to expand it and talk about some of the best modern trick-taking games. So it's going to be a kind of a, a combination episode where we're going to have a bit of discussion and some game recommendations. Now, along with that, I'm going to have reviews of Macaron, which is a new um, soon-to-be kickstarted trick-taking game, and Ratuki. And yes, I know Ratuki's not trick-taking, but it's ladder-based traditional card game. It's it's that same traditional card game feel. Trust, uh, come on, I'm trying to get the themes to match. It gets pretty good. It's got that traditional card game vibe. Now, along with that, Deanna and I keep talking about playing Pathfinder Adventure card game. We haven't done it yet. We got to do that. Um, that one's moving up in our review list. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna pound that one out soon. I would like to play a few more games before then. So I'm hoping that'll happen sometime soon, maybe this weekend. Plus, I'm looking forward to get to more of those Robotech games, right? So we tried uh, Force of Arms. I would like to play. Well, Deanna in particular wants to play again because she misunderstood one of the concepts. And kick my butt, so that actually might be a knock against the game, is if you don't know what you're doing, you can win, that might be a, a bad thing. So I want to play that one again, and then I'm looking at trying the next game in the series, which is Crisis Point, which from what I heard from someone today, 
is the same game brought to the nth level. So it's, again, I think it's going to be a big math grid thing, but on a bigger level scale with more counters. So I'm looking forward to checking that one out, too. Now a quick shout-out and a thank you to some of our VIP guests. Our Patreon backers, we greatly appreciate their support. Danielle Thomas. Thanks, Danielle. Sean P. Kelly. One of these days, I will be free on a Monday, and I'll join your live show. I get the notification, and I'm always in the middle of something, and I'm like, oh, I want to, but I should I was burnt out on Monday. I completely missed the notification and, uh, and didn't show up. And I have been really enjoying those shows lately. I, uh, I love those two guys. Andrew in, Dacey? In a purely platonic way. <laughs> Andrew Dacey, thank you. Uh, Diane Tuzano, thanks, Mom. Misdirected Mark. Join the Misdirected Mark team every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern uh, New York, t- Toronto, as they talk <laughs> games and game mastering at twitch.tv slash misdirectedmark. It's the not the Queen's time. Yeah. You know, we keep shouting that. We should be shouting out. Join gaming and BS on Monday nights. I don't even know when they we go should. live. Get, Sean, we, give us a give us a give us a spiel for your uh Yeah, your I, the distracted mark one is is the same thing they say during yeah. their show. We, we we should totally be calling their out their show and when to see it. Because yeah, it's Monday nights. You can you can watch your Twitch, go to gaming I don't know what the Twitch is. Gaming BS, gaming underscore BS. I don't know. Sean keeps coming in here with a new tag every week. So Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he keeps changing his name. He doesn't know what board games are. He's not welcome here anymore. Well, that was the double bell. That means my shift's coming to an end, and we're going to have to lock those front doors. Though the doors to the lobby are closed, you can always find us across the web and social media as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Drop by our website at tabletopbellhop.com for more gaming content. Uh, If you dig what we've been doing, know what would be cool? If you chose to tip the bellhop at patreon.com slash tabletopbellhop. Yeah, remember to join us here on Twitch every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. New York Toronto time and watch for the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast to hit your podcatchers and YouTube at 2 a.m. every Tuesday. Well, that about wraps up the time we have for the show tonight. For those of you here live, thank you for joining us and be sure to stick around and join us in the penthouse suite for the after show. For Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I'm Sean. And I'm Mo. Thank you. And game Game on. on. Graphic design by Brian Weiss at RPG and Co. Music is Nimbus by Eveningland. The podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. <laughs>